hey, 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 hey! All right, all of you out there, who's ready for another manly, blood-pumping episode of Dub Talk? I know I sure am. But before we get started, there are a few things we need to cover first. Starting it off, the Dub Talk podcast contains foul language, and exposing the little tights to that is way uncool. Secondly, there are going to be lots of spoilers flying all over the place, so unless you've watched Gurren Lagann in its entirety, I think you better back off for now, buddy. And finally, lots of people have lots of different opinions, and judging the entire Dub Talk podcast for the thoughts of just a few is totally not manly. So now that that's over, let's get this started off right. Because having lots of voices doesn't make you great. It's the performances that touch your heart. They are the voices that will pierce the heavens. Remember, don't believe in yourself. Believe in me. Believe in the spaceman that believes in you. After all, just who the hell do you think I am? Tonight, we will tell the tall tale of that legendary man who years ago took the world by storm with his drill, his robot, and the dream to someday pierce the very heavens. To you, dear listener, I have but one question to ask you. Just who in the hell do you think we are? We're Team Dub Talk. We believe in the dubs that believe in you. And today, I'm very pleased to say that we're here to talk about a real special one tonight. That's right, we're here to talk about Gurren Lagan. Joining me tonight are my fellow members of Team Dub Talk. Our sniper, Zenith. I'm a sniper? I, I thought it was a tank. You're a sniper because you make the bikini bra work. Okay, 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 fine, it is fine, it is fine. Alright, our manly missile barrage man, Spaceman Hardy. <coughs> oh, sorry, I was trying to... Got a little indigestion there. Ah, <sighs> oh, lordy, I see you had some of Nia's cooking earlier. Oh, yeah. And we have our co-pilot of Gurren Lagan, Jet. Uh, I would say something witty, but it's like 10 o'clock at night, so... Okay, okay, come on. Give me something, Jack, give me something. Uh, uh... Uh... I don't know why nothing's coming to mind right now. I'm sorry. Come on, come on. Manly spirit, drills, camaraderie, <laughs> yes. literally just... Just uh, like it, uh, believe in the me who believes in you who believes in something, I guess. Drills That's appear more out like of it. nowhere. Don't you understand? You you have to combine manly combining, Can't you brotherly combining. Combine with your, me, Jet. Get this through Jet, your it's head. A, You're this is naked. A tag eight. Team. There we go. <laughs> and with our members of our team, all that's left is your loyal, humble commander. Classy Spartan, otherwise known as Andrew the Retriever, the pilot of Laga. This fine crew is ready to get into gear, grab our drills, and take the universe by storm. This is Gurin Lagan. This episode 
is my personal choice for our Dub Talk 5th anniversary celebration. This is a show that is very near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons, and I believe all of you are also very fond of this show as well, and I'm happy to have you here with me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What is a show? I do not understand this concept. Hmm. I'd say first, we should at least set up what the hell Gurren Lagan is for those of you who are still, unfortunately, not watched the show. Here's a brief synopsis. Here's a blah, 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 blah. here's a brief synopsis, courtesy of Anime Planet. Simon lives a boring life in the underground village of Jiha where his main job day in and day out is to dig tunnels. His close friend Kamina, however, longs to bust out of their oppressive existence and reach the surface world where open skies and adventure await. One day, during his usual dig, Simon discovers a robot with a huge face buried amongst the rocks. No sooner has he shown Kamina his mysterious find when two beings from the surface crash land into Jiha Village. One is a gun-toting woman, calling herself Yoko, and the other is a terrifying mecha piloted by a beast man. Seeing their chance to escape village drudgery, Kamina rallies Simon and Yoko to defeat the invader using their new robot, Lagan. However, upon breaking out onto the surface world, Simon, Kamina, and Yoko encounter enemies more powerful than they could have envisioned. Their fight for adventure just turned into a war for survival of human race. Will their lust for freedom hold on to out against such terrible odds this is how the story begins and that's only the beginning there's some there's some things that happened in the show i tell you what yeah i mean that yeah i mean that we've made jokes about how much trigger shows had to escalate and this show definitely started that trend this is the original escalation and then some like i would actually argue the the escalation that Gurren Lagan goes to is quite literally by the way spoiler war- spoiler warning for the entirety of Gurren Lagan plus some of the other movies at this point this is the largest any anime may has ever gone I don't even think it can physically be matched how far uh, this uh, show goes actually 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 Asura's Wrath Asura's oh. Wrath Okay, fine. Asura's Wrath. I've heard some stuff about Asura's Wrath. Asura's okay. Wrath even goes a little bit bigger because, like, they 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 start like they start throwing like being bigger than galaxies. Andrew, okay, Andrew, the main character punches out God. Yeah. Anyways, anyways, the biggest an anime has ever gone. How's that? How's that? Well, I mean, Asura's Wrath is the best anime game ever made it's okay it's, now now you're just being a bitch come okay, on okay okay Asu- 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 everybody Asu- gets one osiris wrath is what you get when you take gurren Lagon and mix it with uh dragon's lair yes okay fair enough anyways it's still a pretty goddamn insurmountable scope as far as escalation which is definitely definitely insane I had a bit of a history with this particular show I want to share briefly before we get into the nitty-gritty of this. There was a period in my life, believe it or not, dear listeners, dear friends, where I kind of thought, anime is kind of (gasps) stupid. I was... 
I was falling out of love with Dragon Ball Z, and wait, at that wait, point, wait, 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 I... wait, anime is stupid. Have you seen Puni Puni Poemi, my friend? I I have not, but that doesn't really help the discussion right now. Yes, I was getting bored with anime. I was getting bored with Dragon Ball Z, and at that point. I was still actively following Bleach, and Bleach was the anime that almost killed my enjoyment for anime forever. Well, that makes sense. And I was just... Yeah, Bleach was kind of one of those, oh, God, I... I fuck, this sucks. I, I, I can't. So I kind of started, like... At some point in YouTube, they had, like, some shows you could just watch on YouTube with ads, because that was a thing you could do back in the day. And I came across one on YouTube back in the day, called Gurren Lagan, which I was curious about. I had heard pretty decent things about. And I was... I started watching it. I was pretty invested in it. I was gripped. I was hooked. And then the finale, as it goes further and further, deeper and deeper, was genuinely one of the coolest, most, like, hype unique like oh my god experiences of my life and it made me realize this is what anime is this is what it can be this is what it really can be when it reaches the peak this is one of the coolest things i've ever seen in my life w would you say when it reaches its zenith no yeah, sure. When it reaches its zenith, okay. <laughs> I will not rule that one out, by the way. All I'm gonna say is... Gurren Lagan is special to me because it was a show that brought me back over to the weeb side in a big way, and I haven't really looked back since. It's also a dub that I re remember enjoying a lot, but was always curious to try and revisit. Because back then, Andrew didn't really know voice actors except for the really obvious ones that I was I knew about. There were some people I did not know about. And doing this project, it was really fun researching who did what when it came to this show. As for who did what, let's first dive into... Behind the mic with our ADR director and scriptwriters for this series. So, the people behind the English dub of this show are none other than Tony Oliver, as well as Alex Von David and Barden Bishop. Tony Oliver is the ADR director and scriptwriter, and Alex Von David and Barden Bishop. Bishop were the writers for this stuff. Tony Oliver has directed such anime as Fate Zero, Magi, The Labyrinth of Magic, Eureka 7, JoJo, Stardust Crusaders, and Hunter Hunter 2011. He's also written Fate Zero and Eureka 7, as well as Please Teacher, Tweeny Witches, and Kaon. Alex Von David has written such things as SAO, Madoka Magica, Blue Exorcist, Lucky Star, and The Melancholy of Harhi Suzumiya. He also directed several of those. And Barden Bishop has written for such dubs as Destiny of the Shrine Maiden, Mars Daybreak, Ojamajo Oja Doremi, Shaman King, and several other Yu-Gi-Oh! 4Kids dubs, but I particularly wrote down Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds. 
That's uh, that's quite a lineup there, Andrew. It's quite a lineup. And that's uh, why yeah, I, the, I see you picked the most appropriate Yu-Gi-Oh series to connect to this. Okay, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you caught on to that one. Thank you very much. Robot fights so, on motorcycles. So starting off with our discussion of Hiroyuki Imaishi, Gainax, and Bang Zooms, Gurren Lagan English dub. Zenith, would you care to start us off? What did uh, you think yes. of the direction and writing? Before we begin, I want to say that Gurren Lagan is a life-changing anime to me. Uh, it was the first anime I ever reviewed back in my, you know, back when Zenith D1 was taking over. Uh, yes, that is a thing. Um, but, uh... It was the first anime that I watched and emotionally invested in to the point where it made me cry several different times and just the sheer scope and the scale and everything about it was just simply wonderful. Now, I initially watched this in sub, and I love the sub, but recently I've been getting in watching it in the dub when I went to re-redo my, uh, not my, Zenith D1's review of Gurren Lagann, and... I love this dub, and and here's the thing, dubs, for me, you know, th there's a very fine line between uh, a dub that sounds super supernatural and a dub adding stuff in and keeping in tone with the original Japanese. This just takes all of my boxes. This is one of those legendary dubs that it does everything I want it to be. And I would honestly put it up there with like the likes of Blood Blockade Battlefront as one of the best dubs in the past few decades. Hmm. Okay. Big fan, are you? Uh, I, I, you had noticed. Who the hell do you think I am? <laughs> You're Zenith Warrior Princess. That's who you are. It's a rhetorical damn question. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this. I'll say this, and if uh, are you are you done? No. Yes. Yes. Okay. You've given me an idea for what to do for the ADR director writer section of this. <laughs> Hardy. Mm. Hardy. Yes. Before you go into your thoughts about the directing and the writing of this dub, I'd like to ask, what is your personal history with Gurren Lagann? I'm very glad you asked that, Andrew. Um, I actually, the first time I watched this was in English. Um, I had no idea what it was until it came on cable television. Uh, I had only seen the ADV trailer uh, on one of an old single disc release ADV films. This came out before ADV folded and was still, and they were still doing singles. And they initially had the rights to it. So... I watched the trailer, and the trailer made it out to look like the single goofiest thing imaginable, like it was a comedy. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like, if you can ever look at the original ADV trailer for Gurren Lagann, it, it does not do it justice. I don't even know if I could find that stuff. Like, legitimately only, not, not till a few months ago did I even know that ADV was originally supposed to dub this. Yeah. No. Would, I think would it be included uh, I, on the Blu-ray, do you think? No. No, it literally does not exist outside of, like, okay. some people who have the original Andrew, DVD. Andrew, I will tell Sorry. you this. Um, Tiffany Grant herself, the original voice of Yoko, and I'm not spoiling anything for the future. Of the, 
she said that only a few screeners were ever sent out. Uh, only people like Mike Tool and other people in the anime industry actually own copies. Uh, they had a first print run of, I think, the first four or five episodes. And then those DVDs were either locked up in storage for all time or they were destroyed. There are only a handful of people who actually have seen the first four or five episodes of the ADV dub. Um, but that's that's regardless. That's a story for another day. It's a story in itself, but what's your story? Welcome to the holy grail of, of yeah. Gurren Lagann. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Tiffany Grant, um, uh, look up the Evangelion AIDS PSA if you haven't already. Oh my god! God, you want to talk about lost lost media? Yeah. That apparently recently was uncovered. Yes, and I spoke with her directly about it as she revealed all the sordid details. Would you believe there's a dirtier version that never got recorded? I'm going to be honest, I do believe that, but there's only so much time in the world. <laughs> but anyways, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. Okay, so I went into the series not knowing what it was, not having seen it subbed, because I don't think at the time legal subs like Crunchyroll even existed. So the only way you could watch the sub was through fan subs. Um, but it, it, I, Sci-Fi had their, their Anime Monday uh like weekly stream where they would show a bunch of anime shows and they announced that Gurren Lagann was going to be airing in English. And uh, that was the way I watched it week to week. Um, I would watch Gurren Lagann in English having not watched it previously. And I would like every single week. This is like, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. This is awesome. I love it. <laughs> Excuse me. The beer's kicking in. Um, oh, 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 there we go. Oh, Lordy. Manly. This is the beer that will pierce the heavens. This is the beer that will pierce my gut. Uh, but, uh, but um, no, I just, at the time, I know there was a lot of people talking, oh, this actor is not that great. Oh, this actor pales in comparison to the Japanese. I'm like, this is freaking cool. How can you not enjoy this? And then I remember getting to the halfway point right before the recap episode, and then waiting patiently for the next episode of Girl Lagan to come on. And then it was an episode of Reader Die, and I'm like, no, where's Gurren Lagan? I want Gurren Lagan. Why isn't it here? They had delayed the second half until somewhere later in the year, and I was, like, going through withdrawals. I need the rest! I need it! But yeah, that was the way I first watched Gurren Lagan all the way through was on cable television back when we still had cable TV in our house. And, uh, yeah, I just, every single night, every single week, I would just go up there and just watch it and be, like, completely spellbound. And by the time that it ended on episode 27, I'm like, I need a cigarette. And I don't even smoke. Um, it was that cool. It was that it was, cool. You just, you know, smoking an invisible cigarette. Was it good for you too? Yeah. The cigarette. The cigarette was the drill all along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The chicken and the egg were sitting in the bed together. The egg was smoking his cigarette and said, "Now that that question is answered, what else do you want to know?" Uh, but anyways. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Okay. Long diatribe aside, uh, my thoughts on the ADR direction and script writing of this show. Um, the first few episodes were kind of rough. Not going to lie. Okay. Yeah, not going to lie. Um, there are a few actors in this show that started out pretty bland and flat. 
in a show that's supposed to be so exuberant and, and over the top and boisterous. Um, I feel like the first few episodes were, were a little bit weak on the English side. As the show matured and spiraled out, <laughs> pun intended, um, it, uh, it it evolved. It, it, it grew and it, and, it, and, it, and it got better as it went along. And Would so, you say that might be part of the point? I that, mean, that kind of is how things went naturally, and it's very fitting that, uh, given the show's subject matter, that it it proceeded to do that. Um, but yeah, no, I I think Tony Oliver is a great director. Alex is a great writer. I'm not too familiar with with Bishop, but um, I should I should probably clarify that. Alex himself only writ, I think, maybe two to three episodes. Barden writ yeah. a It's a writ. Writ. Uh, mm-hmm. Alex only did, like, two to three episodes of the show. Barden did 11, and Tony did the other 16. Okay. That explains things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they did a really good job. Uh, maybe a little bit too much language, but given the, you know, over-the-topness of the show and the fact that they didn't go too vulgar... Um, I kind of, I can kind of appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, um, my long, I'm the one who wanted this episode to be short. My long diatribe over, uh, I think they did a really good job. This drill's gonna go all the way, baby. All the way. And now, Jet, the drill is yours, my friend. What is your story and what are your thoughts? Um, trying to think. Uh, for me, I first discovered Gurgle God back in college. Uh, not through watching it, but because I had a roommate who was into anime, and so I, so I, so I kept hearing it. I kept overhearing him watching fan subs of it. And I was like, okay, this seems kind of interesting. And like sometimes I would watch fan sub stuff from him every now and then. And so like, so eventually I decided to check it out on my own because he was like on episode thirteen or something. Uh, so I discovered this show was on Netflix, and I think this was back when Bandai was still around. So I think Bandai still had it back then. Uh, so I was like, oh, so I was like, oh, okay, sure, all 27 episodes are up. So I went through the whole thing. I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of my story. Um, so um, getting into my thoughts on the dub, uh, Tony Oliver is probably one of my favorite directors at Bagsoon these days, and his work is usually very consistent. Uh, but I wasn't always a fan of his work, uh, specifically back in, like, the Neon Alley days with stuff like Nora Rise of the Yokai Clan or Season 1 of Moggy. I... Find a lot of his work to be kind of hit or miss, especially when it came to like really loud action shows. Uh, so combining that with the fact that this dub was like generally not that well received back then, I and I definitely didn't hear it talked about as much as you know some of the other dubs for that era, like you know say Code Geass or something. I wasn't really expecting a voice direction here to hold up, uh, hold up that well. And uh, but to my surprise, not only did the voice direction hold up, it's honestly up there with some of Tony Oliver's best work on JoJo's. Uh, I'll agree with Hardy that I think, like, the first maybe couple of episodes had a little rough around the edges, and it takes a little bit for some of the actors to find their groove, but once they do, it's definitely a lot of fun to listen to, and the more the show escalates, and so do the quality of the performances, and by the time we get to the final arc of the show, it's honestly right up there with the Killer Kill dub in terms of just, like, pure quality ham. Uh, Kill a Kill is also a show directed by Mr. Imaishi, and they are both very similar. Uh, yeah. In some regards. Nudist beach. Whether, I'm not going to argue which one is better or worse. I'm just going to say they're both awesome and goddamn worth your time. Yeah. Um, they're, they're different perspectives. 
Yeah. Uh, I also really like the dub script. Uh, while it isn't quite as punchy as you might expect from an action show with a lot of this one, and especially knowing one of the writers uh, did work in foreign games, because I have been revisiting the Shaman King dub again, and uh, that's uh, definitely very punchy. Because um, uh, uh, this definitely strikes a really good balance between being fabled to the material and, you know, letting the characters be crude every once in a while, especially with Kamina and Giton. I also appreciate that even though this show had three separate adaptive writers, it all felt like it was coming from the same person. And Tony, did, Tony Oliver did a really good job of just keeping everything consistent, so... Uh, yeah, the dub holds up really well on a technical end, and honestly a lot more than I was expecting it to. I will definitely say I also feel this is a dub that is really under-criminally talked about, and it is really, really up there. Like, I understand the... For many people, the Japanese language track is very iconic for the show, but honestly, to me, so is the English. It's so very, very iconic and quotable. And there are so many of these actors where it's very much like, I consider these actors to be this character. It's like, I look into the ADV stuff, it's like, I'd be curious to see this person's take on Simone or Kamina or uh, Rosiu, but honestly... These are so iconic, these characters and these performances. I will agree, it, it is a little kind of rough at, around the edges at the start, but I'd argue it's very diamond in the rough going forward, and it chips away and becomes something really beautiful and memorable. S there's literally so many cool speeches at the end, I couldn't keep track. At the end, like, everybody is giving 110%. It's so cool. Everybody's giving their all. They're fucking goddamn manly finding spirit and then some it's so cool it's so funny it's so natural i also appreciate there's a lot of people i don't get to talk about that much on dub talk that we're gonna get to talk about tonight and that's really cool i think i think tony does a wonderful job with this dub and the script all like i didn't know this was three writers until i did a research but it all flows naturally like there's a little bit of spice, punchy dialogue, but it feels fateful to the source material, but also adapts in the best ways when it needs to. And I think it's fantastic. And absolutely, Tony did great. They did great. And with that, it's time to get to our first batch of characters. This batch is going to be our first major antagonist for this show. That would be... The four beastmen generals of Lord Genome, the Spiral King. These are all very big adversaries in the show that kind of get done away with once we get into the second half, but they're pretty important throughout the show. That they would be uh, Timoth, Adine, Sitomandra, and Guam. They are all different types of beast people. Uh, Timulf is an ape. Uh, Guam is an armadillo. Sitomantra uh, is some sort of bird. And Adine is fucking hot. I mean, a scorpion. So. Cricket, cricket, cricket. <laughs> I was gonna be like, come on, I just said she was hot, and all of y'all were like, really? Nothing? I mean, I, I, I mean uh, I'm not disagreeing with you, but. I'm, I'm... She's not my look. She's not my type, but let's face it. She she's she's very much a type of sadomasochist type character. Also, that one uh, that one end card of her to be the like bikini was pretty cool. Well, you know the bikini that looks like uh, 
like what's his name from Kill a Kill, despite this happening far be far uh, years before Kill a Kill. Sinkets. It. Yep. It does. Okay, actually, it. Oh fuck! Now that I think about it, her mech does kind of look like Sinkets. It's got like the titty eyes and the mouth is the cro. Oh my god. Yeah. One thing you'll know about Imaishi as a director, he loves his callbacks. He loves his callbacks. Uh, yeah, Imaishi uh, has only one brand, but he does that brand extremely well. Mm. He has one brand, and that brand is fucking my brand too, and I love it. Now, talking about who actually plays these characters, uh, Timulf is Paul St. Peter, Adine the Elegant is Megan Hollandshead, uh, Sitomandra is Steve Saley, and Guam is Doug Stone. Let me take a drink, hang on. Need to quench that thirst for a second. Uh, Paul St. Peter has played such characters as the Nine-Tailed Fox from Naruto, Yami Rialgo from Bleach, Wamu from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Captain Battleship from Bobobo, and Leomon from Digimon. Megan Hollandshead has played such characters as Rangiku Matsumoto from Bleach, Shizune from Naruto, Caster from Fate Stay Night UBW, Valetta Nu from Code Geass, and my fucking Valentine from Yu-Gi-Oh! Steve Saley has played characters such as Toshiro Hitugaya from Bleach, Neji Hyuga from Naruto, Katai Tayama from Bungo Stray Dogs, Hamori Akiyama from K Project, and Hoka Inumata from Kill a Kill. I'm He's so, the guy with. I'm so surprised you didn't mention your favorite character from Iron One and Orphans. Oh God, you're right, <laughs> McGillis Fareed. Fuck him. Um, <laughs> anyways. Either way, th look, there's a lot There's a lot of characters some of these actors have done. I had to pick out little favorites. Uh, Doug Stone has played characters like Akio Kawazu from Paranoia Agent, Stoner from Eureka 7, Jim Baral from Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, Dr. Kusuno from One Punch Man, and Mitsuzo Sorori, a.k.a. Satsuki's Butler from Kill la Kill. Uh, yeah, I got all the four generals. Zenith, tell us your thoughts. Um, well, I'm familiar with a lot of these people uh, from Bleach, because I grew up with Bleach, and um, as we go on, you'll see more voice actors from Bleach. Uh, you'll see a good amount of them, a yeah. A good amount of Bleach voice actors, and the thing is, I love the Bleach dub, and I think they're just as solid in this. Definitely different vocal direction, and definitely a different, like, because this is less somber, because Bleach was more somber. Um, but I still think the quality is there. So, I mean, the generals don't do as much. In my rewatch, I'm like, you know, they tend to be there for like an episode or two and then go. But they're great personalities, and I think these voice actors really bring them through. Alrighty. Hardy. Yeah. Uh, let me just say that Guam... Doug Stone makes Guam sound like someone who would sell someone into... Like sex slavery. <laughs> he he is Guam's design is what the Faku community would call the ugly bastard. No, no, Guam is the guy who sells the girls to the ugly bastard. Timilf is the one who buys them. Uh, <laughs> you're not even wrong. That's why yeah. I hate that you're saying this. Continue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't want to think about that. Don't don't think about it. don't think about. It. I thought about it. <laughs> the dojins exist, um, but yeah, no. I think all of these people. Oh, my personal favorite's probably Megan as 
Adine because you get to watch her just have this sort of psycho meltdown uh, when she's having to deal with Nia because you can tell she absolutely cannot stand her and and she goes full bitch switch and it's it's a wonderful um, I think here's a fun fact actually about uh, Adine I found out from the secrets of Gurren Lagan. The reason those two apparently know each other, according to the creators at a panel, uh, is that apparently they played volleyball together. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Adine. Yeah. Yeah, why did Adine seem so familiar with Nia? Adine used to play beach volleyball with Nia. I'm going to say some other fun facts from this article throughout the night. Right. Expect those. But anyways. Um, yeah, uh, keeping things short and simple, I think... Each one of these actors brought their own amount of sleaze and uh, and arrogance and and at the moment of their defeat, just sort of this complete and utter, you know, despair that was rather delightful to watch. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, Jet, your thoughts. Okay, um, starting with Paul uh, Saint Peter Seabolt, I thought he was a lot of fun. Uh, it's kind of hard to disassociate Paul St. Peter from Leobod whenever he goes that gruff with his voice, and um, Sable definitely said about as long as the average Leobod does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he definitely passed the level of energy needed for that character, and it definitely sounded uh, very confident for, and intimidating for the one episode he stuck around for. Uh, I wish I had a little more to say than that, but again, he died very quickly, so he didn't really leave that much of an impression. Uh, Steve Saley and Steve Madra. I had honestly kind of forgotten Steve Saley was even in this time, uh, which kind of makes he, his casting in Kill a Kill a little more clever in hindsight. Uh, but uh, anyway, he does a really good job of striking a balance between, you know, making the characters sound very snide and pompous, uh, while also not being afraid to channel his inner hand whenever things start going very badly for him. And uh, there weren't like a ton of set up moments for him, but I definitely found his performance uh, pretty fun all the same. Uh, what did stand out to me a little more was uh, definitely Dogstone as. Guam, uh, both for the performance itself and also because, as, he was, as you'll see a little later, he was the most notable instance of double casting in this show. Uh, to his credit, he does a pretty good job of distinguishing Guam from the other character he plays. And uh, even compared to the, to the other generals, he definitely makes Guam come off as like a total slimeball. Uh, you know, the whole thing with uh, taking advantage of Keaton by baiting him with a village of girls from this ugly yet beautiful world was pretty funny. Now, the one person here who has seen this show, I'm obligated to note that reference because that is an earlier Gaidak show. And I was Wait, like, what? Um, was like, uh, so you remember the bit where uh, Guab baits Keaton with like a village of beautiful girls? Wait a second, yeah. that's where they're from? Because I watched you, that. You, yeah, 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 those characters' eyes are like ripped straight from this ugly and beautiful world. Wow. Really? <laughs> okay. It's just like, okay. the, Ava- it's was... like the Evangelion <laughs> girls in the bathhouse. Okay, the Evangelion girls were unmistakable in the bathhouse. I, I could tell the, those a mile away. I could not, but then again, I have never seen Ava. Well, you got time. Yeah. Anyways, you got time. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's a thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, that bit where, you know, he tells me about how her daughter, about how her father only sees her as a doll to be discarded was kind of messed up. And uh, Doug's delivery there was so slime-tastic that I eagerly waited seeing this guy get punched in the face, and I was definitely pretty happy when he finally got some good comeuppance. Uh, speaking of said comeuppance, Doug's delivery where the bit where, during the bit where Guam kind of spins out of control was also pretty funny. And uh, out of all the general's deaths, it was definitely the most memorable. 
Uh, but like Hardy, my standout here would probably be Megan Hogshead as uh, Anita because, well, it's Megan Hogshead. Uh, she's always been pretty good at playing haughty and sultry female villains, and her performance as Anita definitely channels that in spades. Uh, when she's first introduced, you know, she seems very calm and collected while talking to the Spiral King. Uh, but as soon as he's in the room with anyone else, he wants her real color show, and she's not afraid to talk down to anyone, even Nia. Might... She, she is a scorpion. She will sting you whenever she gets a chance. It's her nature. Yeah. And uh, my personal favorite scene of birds is definitely the bit where, like, Nia asks to take her back to the capital, and indeed he's just having absolutely none of that. And uh, it's the wonderfully hot. I definitely like how well she bounces off of Viral's actor, who, you know, tries to maintain his pride as a warrior, even when she's just putting him through the ringer constantly. Oh, uh, she just smacks him, like, so much smack, as he's asking smack, him smack, questions. Smack, smack, smack. I'm like, rude! Rude. Let him get a sentence out. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, it really makes me wish Megan Hogshead was still working at anime dubs on a regular since her voice is very distinct. Uh, but uh, on a whole, I found all four of these performances to be pretty good. Okay, uh, starting off. It's ironic that Timmel has the least impression of these four, despite objectively making the biggest story mark in the series. Like, that's the thing that always gets me is like Tim Wolf is the least memorable of these characters. He does the biggest thing in the show at that point. The the Sky Fortress, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not the Sky Fortress, the sorry, the, the other Fortress. thing the, he's he is Dai Daigunzen, which becomes Daigorin. He's that guy uh, who does that thing uh, to that oh, character. Right. right. I I Okay, I mean, Andrew, you don't need to, like, you don't need to allude to things here, I mean. I know, I just want to get, I just want to get to it later, because that's, we will, t we, we will talk about it. Okay. Anyways, it, look, Timbal's a good, good old gruff, he's a good old gruff monkey man, and Paul Slate TV Reader does a great job. He's already dead, moving on. Uh... Cito Madra, Steve Staley. I did not know this was Neji Huga as Steve Staley when I first watched it. I'm like, he does sound familiar, but he's so haughty and, like, kind of snotty, but also a bit of a sassy bitch, too. You know, he, you know, he should have seen his defeat coming. If only he'd used the Byakugan. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's gonna be like this all night. Okay. Anyways, no. Uh, but he does a great job. He's all—he's a very two-faced little cockhead, but he does a good job with the stuff he's working with. Uh, Steve is great. Doug Stone is very slimy and methodical. Sounds old and distinguished, but he does a really good job sounding like this slimy old uh, gruff guy who's willing to do whatever he must for his king. And as a fun fact, he is, in fact, the eldest of the four beastmen. He's been with the Spiral King for a long time. Because, as a fun fact from one of the parallel works, which were basically a series of music videos released alongside the compilation Gurren Lagann movies, Guam was basically Lord Genome's Buta. Huh. <laughs> he, that he was is a little very animal on his shoulder. Yeah, he grew up into a fat, ugly bastard, though. This is what happens when you stop evolution, folks. Anyway, it's like that one—it's like that one quote from The Simpsons: "The older they are, the cuter they ain't." 
But yeah, no, Doug, Doug does a good job, but the definite standout is Megan Hollandhead as Adide, who is this very, like, she's this very snotty, uptight, like, holier-than-thou, like, evil lady. She is so, like, villainous and poisonous, and she is great. She is delightful. It is fun watching her interact with Nia, who is so cute and calm and tough, but also kind of, like, she's acting like a snotty bitch. And it's great watching her be overconfident. And then her finally biting it in the end is like, ah. But no, she was a fun villain. And I think Megan Hollandhead is great. And now, with that out of the way, it's time to move on to another group of characters. It is time to talk about Keo, Kenon, and Keol. Also known as... Fangirls. No. The Black Siblings. It probably sounded is, better in Japanese. It probably sounded a lot better in Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just the way they pronounce it. Sometimes I can tell if they were saying Black Siblings or Blog Siblings. I feel like if they said, like, blood siblings, it's like, I guess that's redundant, but it's still just hearing the black siblings. I'm like, okay. Uh, I know what you're going for, but it's still weird. They, Anyways, they look, should have just the, said the Hugo siblings. You're trying too hard, girl. You're trying too hard, and that joke did not land. We'll get to it when we get to it. We'll get to it when we get to it. Anyways, these three are the... Three sisters to one Keton Bachka. Uh, Keo is the eldest of the three. She is the blonde one with the tiggle bitties. Uh, Kenon is the middle sibling of the three. She is the cute shy one with the glasses. And Keol is the spunky youngest Genki gal with the little uh, tooth fang thing going for her. As for who plays these characters, uh... Keo, Keo is played by Karen Strassman. Keenon is played by Stephanie Shea. And Keol is played by Gina Bose, a.k.a. G.K. Bose. Karen Strassman has played such characters as Soifon from Bleach, Nina Fortner from Monster, Delphine from Last Exile, Miyuki Takura from Lucky Star, and Colin Stadfield from Code Geass. Stephanie Shea has played such characters as Orihime Inoue from Bleach, Hinata Hyuga from Naruto, <laughs> Usagi in the new Sailor Moon dub, Nui Harime from Kill a Kill, and Ereka from Ereka 7. Uh, Gina has played such characters as Mairu Orihara from Dudarara, Charlotte from Berserk the Golden Age, Colette from Berserk 2016, and both Gori and Tsunoda from Agretzko. Zenith, start us off with these three. Well, let me just say for the for the moment they open their mouths, I instantly recognize the voice actors because Hinata's voice actor, or Inori Hime's voice actor, basically you can tell her voice from a mile away. But I think Ste Stephanie Shea is pretty distinguishable. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, what was the other one? Rangiku, you said from Bleach. Uh, from she was recognized. Uh, uh, no, Rangiku was the was Megan Holly said. That's that's what I'm saying. As as the other sister. No. Oh uh, 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 no! Uh, no, she was. 
Karen um, Strassman was Soyfon. Soyfon. Okay. All I'm saying is these are distinctive voice actors. I recognize their voices from the moment they walked into this building. Like I, I could, I looked at them and I said, "That's that person." I don't know your name, but I recognize that voice. And I think that can be said about these three. And I think that really works because the the key the the Kia siblings. I'm not going to use the other word, a term. The Kia Bachka, just call them Bachkas. The 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 Kia siblings, I think, all they're they're very much in the background. They do get a chance to pilot, you know, robots. Uh, some Gurren here and there. They they do get to pilot, um, and they they do get to do stuff. But they're very much background characters, and having um well recognizable voices for this, I think, worked. So, po- positive thoughts all around. That's what I said. Cool. Hardy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think about these three siblings? I think they sort of faded into the background for the most part. I mean, there are times to where uh, the blonde and her little sister will get to fight, and uh, the middle one will just stay. I don't. E- I could never. Shh. I could never guess their names. I'm sorry. Okay. L- look, just call. Them- look, we've confirmed who their actresses are. You could say who they are, like their actresses are. Right. Right. I mean, the older sister and the younger youngest sister sort of faded to the background, and uh, the main thing that uh, that Karen's character does in the second half is have a baby, and a baby that pretty much sets off the apocalypse. But uh, whatever. Um, I think the only one that's really that really had anything of notice was Stephanie's character because she changes so dramatically between the first and second halves and she actually has like a relevance to the plot. She's got a pretty interesting arc too, actually. Yeah. Right. Where she basically becomes Ross Yu's assistant and uh, potential love interest and, um, and actually is able to stand up to Simone even at certain times. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the, the Karen and GK, they sort of fade into the background, but I think of the three, the strongest performance was definitely Stephanie. She also has, like, the most to work off of, too. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Jet. Okay. Um, so I'll start with Gina Boos as uh, Kiel, since he kind of had the least to do with these three, but I thought her performance was, I thought it was still pretty fun. Uh, she definitely made the character come off as a lot spunkier than the other two, which I thought was a nice touch, and... And doing a little bit to make them this thing, since their names are so similar, I often got them confused. And uh, I especially enjoyed her during the time skip where uh, Kiel just kind of finds herself caught in the middle. Yeah, you know, uh, trying to look out for Kidon and, you know, also wanting to help everyone in Team Niger. And I mean, in hindsight, it's kind of stupid that she didn't get to come aboard for the final battle in space while Nyaka did. But um, either way, Gina did the character pretty well for what little material she had. Uh, mm-hmm. Keo, uh, on the other hand, was uh, slightly more memorable. Um, I mean, it's not Karen Sossman's first time playing a saucy blonde. I definitely enjoyed her. And her insulting sort of voice uh, was definitely, again, very helpful in make, helping me figure out which one was which with these three. Uh, well, that and the actual character design, since, um, I mean, uh, that's a, definitely an instinctive character design. Um, he's trying to say that she's hot. <laughs> okay, yeah, she's hot. I was gonna say, Jet, don't fight it. You I'm can just, just say saying she's she hot. has huge tracts of land. Uh, yeah, she definitely has very huge tracts of land. <laughs> Dyaka planted his seed pretty good on that tract of land. 
I am. Um, I was definitely, uh, speaking of I was kind of surprised he mar- ended up marrying Nyaka of all people during the time skip, but I thought their whole dynamic, maybe dynamic, was uh, kind of cute regardless. Oh, oh okay, okay, look, because it's going to come up at some point. The the pairings that Gurren Lagan creates literally out of nowhere during the seven-year time skip is one of the funniest things about the time skip. Because it's like, Dayaka and Kyo literally never talk to each other. Seven years later, they hitch and get married and have a kid. It's off-screen character development. You don't see it's, it, but it's there. It's there, but it's still funny to me to point out. It's like it's like how the really cute... We're not going to talk about these two characters. It's like how the really cute mechanic girl played by Laura Bailey uh, shacks up with the one shaved bald-headed guy played by Keith Stoverseed. It's like, you two literally never interacted, but also your kids are adorable. And one of their kids looks like that one girl from the musical episode of Space Dandy. Uh, so, um, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I derailed that massively. Please continue. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, anyway, getting back on track, the standout was definitely Stephanie Shea as Keenan because, uh, well, she, you know, she's kind of in the background more compared to the other two for the first half of the show. Uh, she definitely has a lot more to do during the time skip. Uh, during the early parts of the show, you know, she comes off as very soft-spoken and shy, which is, you know, an archetype that's very much in Stephanie Shea's wheelhouse. And she does a very good job of making the characters sound very unassuming. Uh, but in the timescape, she sounds a lot more mature and self-assured. And Stephanie's overall tone of voice makes that contrast feel very immediate and distinct. Uh, at first, it's kind of off-putting seeing such a previous sweet character being on board with Rashi's brand of salvation. Uh, but the more we see of her, the more it's clear her heart is still in the right place, even if she's dedicated a lot of that heart to Rashi, among other things. And uh, I definitely felt for her during the bit where she kind of rushes to stop Rasu from killing himself. And uh, Stephanie's delivery when, you know, Keenan tells Rasu how much he needed him. And it helped me see the thoughts with Keenan and also uh, maybe a little bit more understanding of Rasu, you know, despite how much of an extremist he had become by that point. Uh, but uh, definitely uh, I liked all three of these performances. Uh, which uh, two, which, uh, two out of three got a little more to do, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so I will definitely say Gina as Kial is adorable and spunky. I like her. She doesn't get too much to do, but her character is pretty cool. Uh, Kyo is and Karen does a great job being that sort of uh, sexy big sister type character. A little bit spunky, a little bit cool t- too, but definitely very like sexy sounding as well. Definitely chills it a little more when she becomes a mom and she becomes very maternal and loving to her family and her her husband and brother and all that so i think Kara does a good job i just don't think she gets like too much to do or too much to really stand out but i think the scenes that she does get to have with her with her brother and her husband are pretty sweet and adorable and i enjoyed that stuff the standout, of course, of these three is Stephanie Shea as Keenon, who goes from being the adorably shy uh, engineer girl to being a pretty compelling, like, opposing force alongside Rossiu for very legitimate... It's Here's what it is. It's extreme, but I feel the measures taken can also be like, I see how people could get to this level. It's just... 
I also kind of am impressed at how far she was willing to go for her man. Like, okay, legit girl, you strapped yourself to a bomb for your for your guy to make sure Simon didn't get away. Like, I get what you're going for, but that's a that's a step a bit much. I think Keaton was right to be pissed, but I also felt for her when she was trying to speak up for. Rossiu as well. She was trying to chase after him, make sure he understood her and that wanted to let him know that he needed her. And that... I also thought it was a really cute scene, actually, when they're finally leaving together and, like, the whole am I too heavy thing I thought was a very awkward thing when Rossiu's like, yes, you are very heavy, but I think for right now... I'd like to know the weight of a single life. And I'm like, oh, that was actually kind of smooth, you dick. And she's like, yeah, you jerk. I'm like, okay, that was pretty good. But no, uh, Stephanie goes from being like the cute, meek girl to being like a pretty compelling, like, foil for Simon. And also pretty sympathetic. Like, she's sympathetic. I just wish I could have seen her maybe like make up with uh, Keaton, I think, before the story ended. But I, I think Stephanie Shea does a great job making her very compelling and complex, and I really enjoyed the performance. And now that we have the siblings out of the way, it is time for us to go to Team Gurin, Where there's a lot of characters we could talk about, but here are the ones I am settling for discussing. Starting up, we are going to be talking about these members of Team Gurin. We will be talking about... Uh, Attenborough, or Artenborough, however you say it, Dyaka Littner, uh, Buta, Gimme and Dari, and good old Liron. Uh, Artenborough, he shoots missiles, that's his thing, he's also got big lips. Dyaka is one of the original members from Littner Village, he shacks up with, uh, one of these, oh god, I forgot her name already, I'm sorry, Keo, god, they were very similar. Uh, Gimme and Dari, they're kids from Adai Village that got kicked out. And then grew up to become pilots of their own. Uh, Buta is an adorable pigmo. And Liron is... He's very reliable character who is a very dated joke. Going into who plays these characters is... Artenborough is played by Derek Stephen Prince. Who has played such characters as Shino Aburame from Naruto. Uryu Ishida from Bleach. And Iggy from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Dayaka is played by Doug Stone, who has played all of the characters that I discussed in the Guam section. Buta is played by Julianne Taylor, who has played such characters as Yui Nesan from Lucky Star, Millie Ashford from Code Geass, and Taiga Fujimura from All of Fate's Day Night. Dari is played by Mila Lee, Mela Lee, who has played such characters as Erika Karasawa from Durarara, Rena Ryugyu from Higarashi and Rin Tosaka from Fate Stay Night UBW. Gimme is played by Brienne Sidal, who has played such characters as Tsukasa from Dot Hack Sign, Kunikita from The Melancholy of Harhi Suzumiya, and Jim Hawkins from The Outlaw Star. And Liron is played by the one and only Stephen J. Blum, aka, yes, that's Steve Blum, who has played such characters like. Darcia the Third from Wolf's Reign, Eikichi Onizuka from Great Teacher Onizuka, and Orochimaru from Naruto. Zen, start us off, will you? 
Um, well, I don't really have much to talk about with a lot of these characters. Boot is a pig mole. Um, good job. Daika, I like how soft-spoken that they made the character. Edinburgh, I think it was um, a, a decent job with the character, although he doesn't really do much. He's high-pitched and he shoots stuff. That's his character. Gimme and Dari don't really get a lot to do until the second half, but let's talk about Leron, okay? Stephen Bloom as Leron is the best thing about this. I will hear no ex I will hear no other other opinions on the subject. He is fan fucking tastic. I did not expect this performance, and I don't think he's an outdated joke. I don't think he's used as a joke. I think he's a fantastic gay character, and I love him. Ah, I think I agree. He's a fantastic character, but there's a couple of there, there's definitely a couple of panic jokes there. There's a couple of like gay panic joke things in there. Like it was early on. There's a it's not as bad later on, but th they're still there, and it's a little. Eh. Either way, uh, so so is that those are your thoughts? Yep. Alrighty, Hardy. Yeah, I have to agree a lot with what Zenith said. Uh, Buta has like two or three actual spoken lines near the end, but for the most part, he's just nothing but pigmole squeals. So you can't really judge acting by that kind of thing although it does take a lot of talent surprisingly a lot it does take a lot of talent and he's fucking adorable right um Daika is just sort of this background character who he's in the background since the beginning so but i mean he's he's big lug who's heartfelt and and uh and nice and sweet and he can get mean when he needs to but he's just sort of this eternal background character so there's not a whole lot to say about him uh, Dude spun a universal mecha because of how much he loves his that, wife. He deserves some props. That is true. That is very true. Um, who else? Ottenborough just shouts. That's his entire demeanor. Uh, he pushes the button when he's not supposed to put, push the button, and sometimes it actually works. So, but, um, and Gibby and Dari, you, it's nice to see how they mature. Uh, in the first half compared the second half compared to the first half because they start out as little kids and then they grow into teenagers and uh, it's nice to watch their sort of evolution but even then they still really don't do all that much Leron on the other hand Leron is what I would argue as one of the four main characters mm, really because yeah no generally when yeah, he, he's a super important character. Um, he's the reason why they their technology is as advanced as it is. And I think that he's uh, he plays probably the biggest role in actually defeating the, uh, the anti-spiral nemesis with his inventions and his um, and his uh, his his brains. The fact that he's just this stereotypically effeminate character who's just this kind of who creeps on on all the male characters. Uh, it is kind of a well, it's a very dated joke, obviously. But the fact that Steve Bloom can play this kind of voice. It's yeah, it's it's something. It's yeah, it's just not, nothing else I've ever heard from Steve Bloom. And my thoughts on the character side, anyone's thoughts on the character side, it's still a really, really well done and hilarious performance. So, 
yeah, Leron is Leron's actually one of the most important characters in the entire show, and that's what I'm saying. Okay, Jet. Okay, uh, I will also be really quick. Uh, Gimme and Dari, they're uh, cute kids for the first half of the show, I guess. Uh, they have a little more to do with the time skip, and it is uh, kind of interesting seeing how uh, seeing how Mila and Brienne uh, kind of age the characters a little bit, but um, they uh, they sort of have too too much to do aside from some conflict with Simone. Uh, Derek Seven Prince is at Moro. He shouts a lot and pushes the button when he's not supposed to, like Hardy was saying. Uh, but it definitely does a very good job of that. I thought that was a pretty. I thought he gave a pretty hilarious performance there. Uh, Doug Stone. <laughs> Zayaka, I, um, I like Zayaka. Zayaka is a, uh, he's a pretty good dude. Uh, like I was saying, he's kind of in the background a lot, but um, uh, he's definitely there pretty consistently, and he's just, uh, he's just a good guy who you know just kind of helps to uh, keep keep the team together in the shadows, I guess. And uh, he definitely does get a really good moment towards the end when again he's like chatting about how much he loves his wife while he's in a big battle with the universe. I thought that was pretty funny. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, definitely the big standout here is uh, Steve Bloom as Leron. Um, again, it is kind of a very outdated joke, but um, it's, uh, but, it, uh, but I thought the character was handled uh, serious, seriously enough outside of that that it mostly worked. And uh, eventually they toned that down a little bit towards the second half. Uh, but either way, it was definitely very interesting seeing C. Bloom play this kind of character. It is uh, definitely very unique from a lot of his other roles. And I definitely liked how much he was able to make Leron sound effeminate. I thought it was uh, definitely very distinct. I uh, wish the character was uh, treated slightly better. But again, it is what it is. And I thought that C. did a very good job regardless. And uh, yeah, uh, Leron definitely is a little bit more important than Zion Dennis and this way went on. Because he does uh, definitely... Uh, he definitely does create a lot of the things that help the city in the end, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. I realized I almost forgot to talk about uh, Julianne Taylor's Buta, but Buta only has, like, uh, three lines. I thought she did those three lines really well, but I don't really remember too much outside of that. Uh, she did do very good pig mode schools, though. And, uh, boop, boop, boy! Boop, boop, boy! And, uh, boop, boop. yeah, I'm done. All right, so... I will start with Julianne Taylor as Buta because she the under the underappreciated thing is animal noises are a very good skill to have and if you can do it it is very good to do it. There's just not much to talk about on a dub talk episode with animal noises. I just wanted to bring it up because Buta's a fucking bro goddamn champ. He deserves respect too because he basically was Yoko's emotional support for when she hopped into the cockpit of Gurin for the first time after Kamina's death. She decided, like, Buta decided not to go with Simon. Buta went in with Yoko, because he's there for her, and also, it's adorable how he just, like, flops around in there. It's like, aww. It's also, oh, But also, aww. But yeah, no, Julianne's great. I, I wish, I, I thought we were going to see a little more of the actual human form of uh, Buta, because they actually foreshadowed it in episode one, but that one kind of got left to the wayside. But it's what it is. Uh, Artiburo, Artiburo. Uh, Derek Stephen Prince is extremely loud and hyperactive, and God, that boy needs a chill pill. But he hits the button all the times, and he's good at hitting the button. I wish him well. He'd probably do good in Pachinko. Uh, Artiburo, unsung missile man. I love him. Uh, Doug Stone as uh, Dayaka. As we mentioned, he's also Guam. 
but he sounds distinctly different from Guam as well. He's a he's very much a background character, but he's a background character who's consistent throughout the show. He has some decent depth in the second half. He's wants to be there for his family, but he also really wants to join the team on their final battle. And when he, he gets a chance to go, he gets very emotional. It's like, thank you, I have the best life in the world. And it's adorable when he gets his big moment in Tengentopa, and it's fucking great. He does a good job with it. Uh, give me a Dari. I do think it is really interesting to see Mela and Brian age these characters up. We really do not get a chance to talk about Brian Sadal. On this show, and I feel it's really worth noting that she does a good job doing this spiky little kid voice and doing a really good teenage boy voice as well. It's basically just older, older Dari is pretty much Jim Hawkins, which is kind of what I expected, but it's great. Mela also does a good job sounding like the quiet, quiet, spunky fighter pilot girl as well. They both do a great job, and they both grow up to be really respectable galactic pilots. Good for them. Dari is the one who gets the drill at the end, by the way. That's worth noting. I also noticed on my rewatch, uh, one of Yoko's students was also a pilot at the end, too, which I thought that was a neat little touch. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, Brian does a great job sounding like the spunky teenage boy. Mela as the teenage girl... The true standout is Steve Bloom as Leron because holy shit, Steve Bloom. I really don't know any other characters that sound like this aside from maybe Orochimaru. And even Orochimaru isn't this extravagant. He is this goofy, weird character. But honestly, Leron is kind of a badass. Leron legitimately deserves more respect from people and from the show itself. Because he is the tech he is the guy that makes some shit happen. He makes the calculations. He makes the adjustments. He figured out how to take on the Mugan. He figured out how to travel through the universe. He's really a fucking champ. Stop. Like I said, the worst parts are probably like when he does the whole like panic jokes, which it's kind of shitty. It's kind of shitty. It's still kind of shitty, but he's a pretty cool character. He's there at the end with President Rosiu. He's he's a champ. Also, here's a fun, here's another fun little thing from uh, Secrets of Gurren Lagan Answered. Does Liron ever age? They ask. It looks that way because you're looking at him from a distance. If you get closer, you'll see that he has small wrinkles, and he's that technologically talented. If he could do maintenance on Mecha, he could do maintenance on his own face. So yes, Liron does age. He's just very good at hiding it. Mm. But no. Steve Bloom as Leron does a phenomenal job, and I think despite some things that the show does with this character, Leron's a fucking mecha champ, and he deserves your respect and attention. One thing I will say in regards to that, I I will agree with you that the gay panic jokes are a little bit outdated. The thing I like about Leron though, he's confidence in his gayness. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. And I th he's loud and proud, yeah. He, he he's loud and proud, and I think that's what what drew me away from the gay panic stuff. Because I, you know, normally would be upset with it, but it's more like he doesn't care how he's depicted. He is himself, and he's fine with that. And I think that's part of the message of the show, too. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, yeah, there, there are problems, but I, I'm, just, I'm just saying. You're saying no, no. he believes in the gay that uh, believes in him? 
Exactly, and the gay is directed towards machines most of the time, too. Yep. Okay, I was going to make a bad joke there, but I'm going to opt not to. He pushes the, the buttons and knobs and levers. No, I was going to say he gives the he gives the drill a nice manly twist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? That, that's what he did. I'll give you that. I, I'm actually surprised that that was that one was actually a good joke. That, okay, I made well, so I many mean, bad he, jokes. He does and came do from it. So many. Okay, look, yeah. Anyways, look, he'll he'll find he'll find a nice he'll find a nice alien boy in the future. I can tell you what. Anyways, what the fuck were we talking about? All right, Gurren Lagan. Now it is time to move on to what are essentially the central antagonists for part one and part two of the series, respectively. We will be talking about Lord Genome and the Anti-Spiral. Lord Genome is the antagonist for the first half of the series, who is effectively who the humans are trying to take the surface back from because he rules it with an iron fist alongside his beast man that subjugate humanity. The Anti-Spiral is similar, except all of the spiral races across the galaxy. The Anti-Spiral is basically a collective that stopped existing? They stopped evolving so that they would never become the spiral menace which would destroy the universe. Playing both of these people, uh, Lord Genome is played by Jameson Price, and The Anti-Spiral is played by Dave Mallow. Jameson Price has played such characters as Albert Maverick from Tiger and Bunny, Yasutora Sato, a.k.a. Chad from Bleach, Dreyfus from Seven Deadly Sins, Yukichi Fukuzawa from Bunko Stray Dogs, and... The king himself, because Lord Genome is also a king and a warrior, and so too is Ryder, a.k.a. Iskandar from Fate Zero. The Anti-Spiral is played by Dave Mallow, who has played such characters as Goto from Hunter Hunter, Straits from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Anjaman from Digimon, and Commander Amaro from another Gainax series, Fully Cooly. Zenith, would you care to start us off? I think they both did a really great job, but one thing I want to point out is I think Lord Genome steals the show. He steals the first half of the show, and it's like, this is Chad from Bleach, and he's playing the villain, and that's normally something that I, you know, you wouldn't think, because Chad is very soft-spoken, but he has this guttural growl, and when he when he just like rips the arms off Gurren and he rolls at it, like he feels like this character. I think Lord Genome is the standout voice actor in this pair. Anti Spiral does great. Don't get me wrong, but Lord Genome is just so much more menacing. I love it. Hmm. Okay. Hardy. I have to agree that uh Lord Genome is definitely Jameson Price at his most Jameson Price-ness. Uh, while he's... Well, can, when you compare him to someone like Ryder, he's not as exuberant. He's sort of got more menacing and more more just, you know... What is it? Uh, menacing and, and just... Not devious, but just got this, this air of just... Met- He's got this air of like me- he is threatening. Right. He is very like threatening. Like you are genuinely and- afraid of this man, 
and uh, he is a dangerous warrior. Right, right. And so when he actually starts to fight, um, and he's actually beating Lagan with his bare fists, Simone is yeah, that was nuts. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's just it's just like watching the anime equivalent of some a super villain like Lex Luthor just going to town, uh, or Dark Side, uh, basically. And uh, oh shit, yeah, it is kind of dark side, yeah. right? And so, yeah, he is he's is a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, as far as Dave Mallow as the anti spiral, I've always thought that Dave Mallow has this kind of almost robotic voice to him, and I think that it's a perfect fit in this case to uh, the anti spiral's very melatonin, um, you know. Coldness? Coldness, yes. There's no feeling there at all. Like, it's just the most deadpan, serious, you know, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to kill you and this is how things must be sort of thing. And while I would be critical of that in other uh, roles, I think it works perfectly here. Uh, so I think, yeah, this is the this is one of the best, uh, most appropriate characters that Dave Mello has ever played. I would also say that... While he is robotic for most of this, he gets he gets to do some things in that final episode. Oh too. yeah, oh boy, he does. Um, okay, um, so I guess I'll go. Um, so I'll start. I'll also start with uh, Jameson Price and Lord Dome. Uh, generally, there tend to be two camps of Jameson Price performances. Uh, you get either Ryder, which is you know really gruff and loud, or you get Albert Maverick, where he's like very smooth but also a little sinister. And uh, to my surprise, while we're watching this, Lord Zenobe actually falls a little closer into the second camp, which is uh, kind of surprising given how loud the show is in general, but uh, it definitely works. Uh, while Jameson's performance is in Super Gruff and Booming at first, uh, he gives Lord Zenobe, you know, a very regal air to him that makes it clear that he's used to running things. And he has just enough casual menace to his tone that it's just as clear why no one ever really dares to cross him, and he definitely doesn't tolerate being talked back to. And I definitely just dug how much sheer arrogance it was from Jameson in basically every scene he was in. Uh, but of course, when Simone comes knocking and uh, Lord you know, gets reduced to a head because, I mean, this is Trigger, so uh, why the heck not? Uh, the performance... Technically, uh, it's Proto-Trigger, but... I mean, uh, yes. Okay, well, yeah, Proto-Trigger, but you get the idea. Uh, the, you know, the performance gets a little more subdued. And uh, as Lord Genome, you know, regains his persona as a spiral warrior, his tone gets a little more heroic. And uh, by the time we get to the final battle, uh, he's basically just anti-hero rider, and I'm definitely here for that. He's a drill with a head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'd say he was forgiven maybe a little too easily, but at the same time, I mean, he's literally just a head now, so I guess there's a hole that he can do. Uh, and either way, Jameson was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, as for Dave Mallow, oh boy... Um, so I've heard Dave Mallow on quite a few things over the years, from JoJo to Hunter x Hunter. But no matter what I hear of him, and no matter how long it's been since I first watched this, I just can't associate him with anything other than the anti-spiral. Uh, for one thing, his voice is really distinct, and I just definitely dug his overall tone. And that, you know, it seems incredibly monotone, but in a way that's very frightening rather than off-putting. And there's just something kind of sinister about it. Yeah, like, the anti-spiral is just, you know, a being devoid of all hope and one who's kind of, you know, detached themselves from emotion, and you can definitely hear that in Dave's performance. And he really sounds like anti-spiral is somebody who just believes they're operating on pure logic, and, you know, 
and they're very condescending towards all these loud idiots who want to destroy the universe because they just can't stop relying on spiral power. Uh, it, it reminds me that they just saw like a very recent meme about that that I thought was really funny where it's like, no, stop, you're going to stop, you're going to cause the spiral different universe. It's like, aha, drill goes burr. <laughs> <laughs> that mean is so funny it's just somebody just being like haha drill goes burr just oh oh my god yeah uh, oh that's fucking perfect yeah. holy shit uh, yeah so uh while he's uh, definitely monotone for a lot of the time when uh, team Gary continues to defy the odds uh, you see more and more anger kind of coming from the anti-spiral and by the time you know both sides get to duke it out uh, Dave definitely gets as loud and happy as the rest of the cast, as he, you know, just kind of refuses to accept the possibility that he's wrong. And it was definitely a really memorable performance. I would also probably, you know, never be able to disassociate Dave with this. If he's going to be tied to any one performance forever, I'm definitely glad it was this one. It's a pretty good one, yeah. So, I'll start... I'll start with the anti-spiral on this one. I think Dave Mallow has this good cold calculating tone of voice because he is a collective that is subjugating all these people he sounds like a being that is greater and holier than any other being out there and it is just so cold dark and creepy and also just the anti-spiral's design is so interesting. I remember, like, the first time he shows up is when we are staring at, like, a happy cap, like, Aenea, who is hopeful that she'll be rescued. And then he just pops out from the side. I'm like, oh, God. Hello. It's just this very, like, creepy, disembodied creature that doesn't even seem like he is of this medium of animation. It's really interesting. But it's so cold, calculating, and methodical in the way it speaks, in the way it talks. And then when it goes into being a final boss mode, it becomes the most sinister, evil, monstrous motherfucker in the world. It's great. Now let's talk about Jameson Price as Lord Genome. Back when I originally watched this dub, Jameson Price was not an actor I knew of. I have gotten very familiar with Jameson Price as an actor thanks to Dub Talk. And oh my god, Jameson as Lord Genome is so much better than I remember. It's it's like when he starts out evil, he's this condescending regal tyrant. He co has commanding strength and power. Nobody would dare question him. But then when he starts actually getting into the fight, he becomes like this power-hungry madman. Is like, oh, he becomes fight sexual. That's the thing. Lord Genome is a warrior who had been beaten down and, like, dragged to the pits of despair and subjugated people for thousands of years to prevent destruction. He became cold. He became bored. And then when he finally gets to actually fight and be a true warrior again, he's excited. He's exuberant. He's kicking Simon's ass and he's like, this is the best day of my life. But he's also kind of like a monster who disposes of women and, like, children because he's bored. Like, he just sees them as dolls, which also is a fun fact from this thing. Uh, Nia's, Nia is the daughter of a uh, woman from Guam's harem village. 
because that's where, where all of his Ys basically go. That is a thing on this. But yeah, no, he's kind of a monster at the start. And then when he dies, it becomes a computer, thanks to Rossiu. He becomes this calculating teller warner of the Spiral War. But then as he grows more and more, he grows more attached to Team Daigurin and becomes an actual, like, ally in the battle. He apologizes at the end and sacrifices himself so they can deal the final blow. And we get so excited for the fight, and he's like, I, Simone, take me! And he basically becomes one with Spiral Energy. Like, Jameson is so excited and loud and boisterous. Like, he has a really good presence, and he's fantastic as Lord Genome. Like, I knew a lot of performances in this were really good, but Lord Genome was not one I remembered. I was a lot more impressed with this than I really was. And Jameson Price is fantastic. And with that, it is time to move on to... We are going from the antagonist to our rival friends. The... They are not necessarily villains, but they are... Okay, they are villains, but they also aren't. These are antagonists. These are rival antagonists. Uh, uh, I mean, okay, anti-heroes. Anti-heroes is a good way right, Okay, what is an anti-hero? What is a semi-antagonist? Okay. Turned ally. Anyways, we're here to talk about two very different but very similar characters. We're here to talk about... Viral and Rossiu. Viral is a commander for the Spiral King's Beastmen, who is a recurring antagonist for Team Gurren and Gurren Lagan in particular. He's a warrior at heart who eventually starts learning more and more about humans and wants to understand what's their deal. Rossiu is a boy from Adai Village who comes from a town that basically resources were scarce and you, the needs of the many outweighed the needs of the few. He also uh, totally does not rip off of uh, Fei Fong Wong's design from Xenogears. He, he also totally does not rip off his mentor's philosophy or Thanos or uh, anyway. Okay, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Rossiu is not Thanos, but Rossiu is a pretty. Oh my god! I'm actually looking at the picture Hardy posted. Fuck, he does. He Xenogears. he is. He is pretty much the Xeno Gears protagonist. Which is funny because Xeno Gears is is basically a flagrant ripoff in the second half of uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> god, everything really is a fucking spiral, isn't yeah. it? Anyways, no viral. <laughs> Viral's kind of an entity in the first half of the series, and then he grows up. And then he basically becomes the political guy who takes everything on himself. He will do whatever it takes so that society is in order and the most people will survive. You mean Rossiu? Yeah, you said Viral. I'm like, wait a second. I mean, I, Shit. I, I, I know Viral is, is a plucky no, dude. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, okay, okay. <laughs> Fuck. Anyways, I'm confusing these two. Let me actually just talk about who plays them. Uh, the Viral is played by Sam Regal, and Rossiu is played by Johnny Young Bosch. Uh, Sam Regal has played such characters as Minoru Shiraishi from Lucky Star, Little Slugger from Paranoia Agent, 
Metal Bat from One Punch Man, Teddy from Persona 4 The Animation, and Mephisto Felis from Blue Exorcist. He loves him some aluminum baseball bats, apparently. <laughs> they they yeah, have to does. be aluminum. They have to. Johnny Young Bosch has played such characters as... Look, you want, you probably know who Johnny Young Bosch is. Let me just give you a couple of highlights. He's played such characters as Ichigo Kurosaki from Bleach, Lelouch Lamperouge from Code Geass, Vash the Stampede from Trigun, Jonathan Joestar from JoJo's Bizarre Adventures, and yes, because this is the same director, he's Leo Fotia from Promare. And let us not forget his most important role, Chomp Chomp Bacon in Pop Team Epic. I I'm gonna be honest. That could have been literally okay. anything. I'm okay. glad. Uh, okay, okay, I don't know. I don't know. When you, I don't know. When you said same director, I I immediately thought you were going to go to Jonathan Joestar. I I said Jonathan Joestar prior. I was just thinking of because it's 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 Imaishi and look. If you've seen Promare and you've seen Gurren Lagann, there's at least a couple of similarities. Just a couple. Uh, anyways, so. Zen, start us off with what do you think of Sam and Johnny as Viral and Roshu? I'm going to start with Roshu because I think Roshu is probably the most um, surprising. Roshu. That's what I said, Roshu. 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 Uh, bless yeah, you. Okay. Continue. <laughs> it's Roshu. It, it, it's two S's, Roshu. Anyway, I think uh, Johnny Angvash is the most surprising because... I didn't expect this performance from him. I'm used to him being the strong, confident, manly characters. Like I, I'm used to him as Ichigo. I'm used to him um, as these brooding characters. Um, and he kind of brings that to the table, but he also tones it down. And he's a little whiny. He, he kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Shinji Ikari um, from the, what little I have heard of the Ava dub. Um, but like he he does a fantastic job of towing this line between the grim morality of everything around him, and and uh, the upliftingness of everything. I think he did a fantastic job. I think Johnny Young Bosch was a perfect fit. Um, as for v Sam Regal as Viral, he's one of my favorite voice actors in this entire show. I think he has a very distinct voice. Um, and it has to do with the way, the intonation of how he says his words. You know, he, he, he has kind of a beast-like attitude to his tone, and that really helps. Especially because Viral is the most recurring beast man, and so you get a chance to really know him. And um, I also just like the way he speaks. Uh, you know, not just the intonation, but also like the, the terminology that he uses and... Um, Viral is one of my favorite characters, and I think best one of the best voices in the in the show. Alrighty, Hardy. Yeah, um, Viral is very entertaining because he goes through so many emotions. Um, when you first see him, he's this cocky, arrogant bastard who uh, sort of is on par with Kamina. And then once Kamina gets taken out of the equation, it's sort of like his spirit is broken. Uh, he goes he, he goes through cocky to vengeful to um, sort of... Wanting to know the truth. Right, wanting to know the truth, inquisitive. And then at the end, he's just like, I have nothing left. 
uh, and it, it, it breaks him to the point to where he actually starts helping the humans because they just want to live underground again. And apparently that's against the law. And it's and then at the very end, he sort of redeems himself and becomes the ma- manager of his own uh, of his own uh, spacecraft. He he is a captain, basically, as a representative of the spiral race of Earth. Yeah. Like, and it's interesting that he's our main representative for Beastmen because Beastmen are artificially created. They cannot reproduce. And you're basically watching what? this artificial being go through the full gamut of human emotion. Speaking of which, what was his desire when he was stuck in the void? He wanted a wife and child. He wanted a family! And they're so fucking Cute. He had his, his own little bunny girl. It was so cute and pure and his smile. Like, let's put it like this. I, I believe if you are a big fan of edgy boys that might have a little more under the, the hood than you'd initially think, Viral is your fucking weakness. Well, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm thirsty for him or anything, but no, no, I'm not saying you're thirsty for him. You know the exact people I'm talking well, about. Well, I we're, mean, we're I'm, I'm a little thirsty. Not gonna lie. I mean, he is pretty handsome. Just, just, just by the way, for bit. those for those who are curious who what Viral actually is, he is a shark with feline genetics. If you pull out his teeth, they apparently grow back. That's another thing I got from this. So he's a shark cat. He's a shark Shark kitty. But yeah, no, I think that Sam did a really good job conveying all the basic emotions that Viral expre- goes through uh, in the uh, in the show. And when he loses Inkidu at the very end, it's it's actually kind of kind of an emotional experience. It's like part he's he's literally he's like I thank you for listening to my selfish request, old friend. I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. Would you say he's a samurai pizza cat? Zed. No, fuck you. No, he has a sword, no. and he's part cat, and he's from outer Zed, space. if you are going in the record, <laughs> you are going in the corner right now, <laughs> right now. All right, but okay. I'd like to say I want to go from this asshole, and say, and then there's this asshole. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Okay, I get. I fully understand Rossiu did what he felt was the best option available. The man sentenced his best friend, quotation marks, literally to death for an action that he had no control over. I feel like the sentence to death part is the only part of his plan where I'm kind of like, okay, I know what you're trying to do. Really? Death? Like, did you think that was going to make people happy? Yeah. No, it's... And and his so-called trials are are most... They would... His trials are at least a little bit better than U.S. trials, but whatever. Um, Ooh! Hardy with a political jab. I'm impressed. Well, his trials aren't as bad as, you know, the king of despair in Danganronpa. There's a lot less kangaroos. There's a lot less kangaroos, but that's besides the point. Um, let me just say that, I mean, about the performance, Rossiu is just, oh, I hate him so much. I, ugh. but Johnny really, 
I think Rossiu got off a little bit too easy. He was a little bit too easily forgiven. And a punch to the face is is not is he deserves a little bit more if you ask me but that's besides the point um in the first half you could definitely tell that johnny was using his uh renton voice from eureka 7 when for when rossio was younger uh significantly less whiny than renton though which is a good thing um and uh but it's really when in the second half that he gets to shine when he's older and he's more diplomatic. He's this bureaucrat who wants to do only the good for the people, but he does it in such a way to where it's actually more detrimental than helpful. And it's, I, I still don't think I can forgive Rossio entirely, but I like seeing how Johnny plays him going through such an emotional turmoil during that point and so mm. i think i think he did really good because he's had experience with these bureaucratic characters like lelouch in the past actually this was dubbed was this dubbed before kokios it was definitely uh, it was definitely around the same time and i think before yeah but yeah he definitely has experience playing these sort of characters and and i think he did really good job here who wants a hot take give us a hot take andrew Rossi is still more justified in the end than Lelouch. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, like, oh, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, but you're definitely not wrong. Look, 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 look. Oh, you me, think me. that's not a hot take? There's plenty of people that still think Lelouch was right. There's plenty of people that still think Light was right. Maybe you might be like, like, uh, like, okay, Lelouch was definitely wrong, but I will root for him over Light because if something else, Lelouch actually succeeded in his plans. There are Light, people went all, think... like, Light went through all that and he still failed. There are people who think Thanos is right. For the record, Thanos was wrong. Light was extremely wrong. And uh, I haven't seen Kogias. Zenith, there uh, are people who think that... Uh, oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting. Johan from Monster was right. And okay, who I mean, the uh, fuck are those hashtag people? Hashtag Johan did pass. nothing wrong. The devil did I mean, nothing uh, wrong. Like, okay, okay, like literally anyone who thinks Johan did nothing wrong, like, you, you have actual problems. You're actually a sociopath or you justify cult yeah. leaders. Jesus Christ. I mean, at least at least uh, people like Lad Russo because he kills indiscriminately and he has fun. Oh, Lad, yeah. oh, Lad Russo is just an indiscriminate asshole and he knows it. Uh, <laughs> and what, he loves his guns. He loves his guns. Okay, so anyways, uh, you're a big fan of both Sam and Johnny? Yes, yes, I am. Cool. Jet. Okay, um, so I haven't really gotten to talk about Sam Regal on the podcast before, but uh, he was definitely one of my favorite actors for the New York and California Todd Bowles back in the day. I did a lot of good work in uh, both at both Bang Zoom and Zidiopolis, and also in uh, some of the Four Kids dubs of yesteryear. Yes, he was in a lot of Four Kids dubs. Uh, this role was uh, definitely one of his bigger highlights, and uh, thankfully it still holds up really well. Uh, Gerd Logan is a very loud show, with right off the bat, Sam Regal does a really great job of making Burrell extremely loud and cocky. Uh, but with a bit of an edge that makes it very distinct from our heroes. And, you know, he just immediately gives an impression that this guy has a lot of bad news. Uh, but ironically, uh, Vero is definitely a lot more honorable and knightly looking than his wild looking appearance would, you know, kind of imply. And while, you know, he's definitely got a bit of an ego on him, he definitely takes just as much pride in fighting for his country. And, you know, he has a lot of respect, a lot of respect for more opponents, especially Kamina. And, you know, eventually Simone. And uh, Sam gets all that across really well. And, you know, as much as he might go around calling people naked apes, 
And, you know, it's hard not to feel a little bad for him when he's getting put around by his bosses for, you know, trying to do the right thing and avenge his fall in general. Uh, but uh, with all that in mind, uh, it's something not too surprising by the time the time skip rolls around. Uh, Viral develops into an anti-hero, and, you know, I can totally believe he would go around protecting the people in the underground villages suffering under Rachu's regime, because, you know, uh, Viral's just that kind of guy. And yeah. It, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's definitely fun just watching him butt heads with Zemo when the two of them end up in prison together, and Sam just makes it clear that he's just having one heck of a time watching Zemo's fall from grace while, you know, also feeling a little frustrated that he's just allowing it to happen so easily. And that, you know, makes his transition into a full-blown good guy all the better. And by the time he and Zemo uh, team up to pilot or log on, Viral just, you know, he feels right at home with the rest of the Diger and crew. And he does a good job of playing off with the rest of them while, you know, still coming off as the outsider. Uh, Viral definitely has a pretty crazy arc, and Sam handled every bit of it with a, with a level of energy that, you know, uh, made it pretty much impossible not to have fun listening to him, and I'm definitely glad he was casted here. And, uh, Speaking of crazy arcs, though. Uh, yeah, now for Rashu. Boy, Rashu. Uh, so, uh, so there was a point in the mid to late 2000s where Johnny Unbosh's actor and Simo's actor kept getting casted opposite of each other. Oh, I don't know if this stuff started that trend. It's definitely one of the biggest examples. Uh, oh, man. Was this around the same time as Code Geass? It definitely was. Holy shit. Okay, that makes this even funnier, actually. Holy fuck. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so in the early parts of the show, Rashi comes off as very quiet and reserved compared to, you know, uh, basically everyone else in Team Gurren. And uh, this, of course, makes sense given the town he grew up in, where uh, he was used to watching others die in order to keep the population low, and Johnny gets that weariness across very well in his introduction. And while we are talking about that character, it was definitely very interesting watching him play off of Michael McConaughey as a village priest, and, you know, that whole weird relationship he had with him, where it was clear that Rashi had, like, a bit of a grudge against him for what happened to his mother, but he also kind of respected the priest's position and understood why he did what he did. And uh, Rashi, you know, mostly stays in the background for the rest of the show's first half, you know, despite becoming Gurren's second pilot. And the role is, uh, you know, generally limited to comic relief, which Johnny does really well. Uh, but of course, Rashi's character really comes into play during the time skip because that quiet boy involved into a full-blown extremist. And while, he might, and while he might be a more, you know, well-intentioned example than a lot of other ones that pop up in anime, his extremism is definitely no less harsh. Uh, compared to a lot of the other Diagurin members, he's definitely embraced his role as a politician. And that role means being forced to make tough decisions even when no one else wants to. And uh, Johnny gets that attitude across really well. And there's something about his tone that's just so condescending that it's hard not to want to get... You know, it's hard not to want to see Rasu get punched in the teeth, and it's definitely, you know, kind of funny. Satisfying when, when he grits those fucking teeth. Yes, it is definitely very satisfying when he grits those teeth. Man, what's really fascinating about him, though, is that, you know, even though he's definitely very willing to sacrifice a large portion of the poly no, a large portion of humanity in order to ensure that, you know, the species survives at all, he truly believes that he's doing the right thing through all of it, and, you know... In that respect, he has effectively more or less become a more large-scale version of the village priest. And uh, even though he kind of denies it first, he quickly comes to realize it when things start to fall apart for him. And uh, on that note, uh, it definitely is kind of interesting. And I don't know if the Japanese version did this or if this was just something really clever the dub did. This kind of he literally that... grows up into Father Magi. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. Michael McConaughey literally voices older Rossio. I thought that was really interesting. Mm. So, yeah... <laughs> 
Okay, I'll be quick on Viral, even though Viral is great edgy boy. He's very growly. Like, Sam Regal is very growly, prideful, and honorable. Sam's got this great, like, vicious energy to him, but he really does kind of mellow out into a much more subdued, like, Wanderer, because he becomes immortal. He becomes an immortal, not to beat Simon, but to tell the story of history itself. He is going to forever be around to tell the tale of Team Gurren now. Instead of t instead of Lord Genome, he tells the tale of Team Gurren now. Uh, but no, Sam has this really interesting thing he does with Viral. He's got this really compelling arc. You see what happens when he realizes, like... He's been losing to Simon because he thinks Kamina is still around and beating his ass until he realizes, oh shit, Kamina actually died? I've been losing to a kid? What the fuck are people? And then he becomes like this very interesting like anti-hero for the people that Rosiu is trying to take out from underground. You see the rivalry between Simon and him blossom again into a friendship and bond. Sam's got this great tone of voice. He matches in perfectly with all these great bravado speeches at the end. And God, all he wanted was a family. And it's so cute and so sad. But it's great. Johnny Young Bosch is Rosiu. Johnny Young Bosch. Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. I know Johnny Young Bosch is very capable of this, but you very much see him as like a younger sounding boy at the beginning and then into a very dubious older adult as he grows up. Um, baby Rosiu's adorable and awkward as forehead boy, but he really, really... Also, he made me really laugh when he eats, eats Nia's cooking and he's like basically shitting his asshole. Like, that's a fun moment. But... Man, when he becomes a real politician guy, oh boy, does he become, like, menacing asshole, does what he needs to do. And I actually watched some videos recently where the reality of the situation is, here's the thing, Rosiu goes too far, he's an asshole, he's wrong, he sacrifices, like, people for the sake that humanity will live. But at the same time, nobody else could really do what Rossiu does. Nobody else was really willing or able to do that. Simon is not a person who would do that. Simon is not that kind of person. A lot of Team Daigurn would not actually be able to make those hard choices because they're warriors and like free spirits at heart. Rossiu is the type of person who is capable of leading. It sucks and he's a shitty politician, but he is still a leader in that sense. So it's 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 the reality that I think is interesting about the show is somebody brought up. Rosiu is... You need a Rosiu and you also need a Simon. You need both of those people to work in tandem with each other to make a society work. You can't just have a Rosiu and you can't just have a Simon. You need both cooperating together to make that society work. And I think Johnny's really good and really interesting. Alrighty. But, God, I really want to talk more about it. But I will admit, Johnny's great. Rosie is a really interesting character. Uh, go watch uh, the Best Guy Ever's video about uh, Gurren Lagan Part 2 if you want more interesting thoughts about Rosie in the span of Gurren Lagan. I just think Johnny's fantastic as Rosie. Who wants some machismo in here? Yeah.
Who wants some macho bravado motherfuckers yeah. up in this? Hardy, you ready to talk about some manly Heck men? Yeah. All right, let's talk about. Let's talk about. Let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend himself. The mighty Kamina. Oh, yeah. As well as his rival friend, also cool guy too, Keton Bachka. Kamina is the biggest fucking deal in the world. He's larger than life himself. He lives life freely, gives it his all 110%, runs straight to danger whenever given the opportunity. He is the heart of... And soul of he's the hard soul of Simon, Yoko, all of Team Gurren. And also basically the biggest fucking casualty of this show. He dies eight episodes in. Eight episodes in, the moment that makes or breaks a lot of people. And yeah. people are people still upset that he dies. People are still upset that he dies. <laughs> I was like, and I was like, oh yeah, uh, okay, yeah, think of it this way. Uh, there is, um, on TV Tropes, there is a page known as the decoy protagonist. The image of Seabone and Kamina is still there, I think. The reality <laughs> is this. If, if you really thought that Kamina was the protagonist of the story, you really don't understand, like, media literacy. Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, like, in hindsight, it was, like, extremely obvious Kamina had to die. If and K- Keton is a big old player for Team Daigurin... For a while, he's around as a government guy, but he's still a warrior at halt, at, at heart, and goes out like a fucking hero. Does he go out? To he be has fair, a better death than comedy. Don't does, kiss Yoko. Both of these I, people. Yeah, kiss I'd Yoko. argue he has a cooler. Don't kiss. Both don't of kiss these men Yoko. also kiss Yoko. Don't kiss Yoko. I know you want to kiss Kyoko, Yoko. I know everybody wants to kiss Yoko. Don't kiss Yoko. It's not gonna go. It's well. the kiss of death. <laughs> It, it that is literally the TV trope in and of itself. Oh god! But, uh, for some reason, Dark and Francis immediately came to mind for me. Oh god! No, no, no! We are moving on. Let us talk about who actually plays these characters, then we can talk more about them because there's things to talk about. Uh, Keaton is played by Christopher Corey Smith, and the Mighty Kamina is played by Kyle A. Bear. Christopher Smith has played such characters as Spondum in One Piece, Kite in Hunter Hunter, Oro Bozad in Attack on Titan, Tenchi Masaki from Tenchi Moyo GXP, and Kinosuke Kuzuhara from Durarara. Kyle Bear has played such characters as Noriaki Kakion from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stardust Crusaders, Fat Gum from My Hero Academia, Kiba Inuzuka from Naruto, Eskinor from The Seven Deadly Sins, and Adult Son Gohan from Dragon Ball Z. Do not do not forget, he's also the official voice of the Hadoken. Yes, I, yes, I, yes, I, yes. I love Ryu from Street Ryu. I know I'm saying Ryu yes, I, because yes, I know yes, I mean, yes, yes, don't you know, Andrew? Everything has already gone according to my plan. I won five minutes ago. Motherfucker, <laughs> if you dare say his goddamn name on my fucking podcast for right now, I will gut you like a fucking fish. Eisen, 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 Eisen. I think we just found. I think we just found our blooper reel, everybody. 
You motherfucking Isaac. I fucking hate Isaac. I fucking hate While Isaac. While you were learning to Isaac. spell your name, I planned your entire fate, Ichigo. I'm gonna fucking kill all of you bitches. I swear to God. Man, it really comes full circle. That that was okay. Legit. That was the moment that broke me in Bleach. That was actually the moment that broke me in Bleach and almost made me say fuck anime forever. So it's hilariously fitting Kyle A. Bear brought me back into this. I planned your entire more. life, Ichigo, even the parts that I couldn't possibly be there for. Zenith, shut the fuck up and please talk about Chris Smith and Kyle A. Bear now. <laughs> okay, um, one thing I noted in my review is that I think what really works about Kyle Haber's Kamina, even more so than the Japanese sub, and is the humanity of Kamina. And we all say it, Kamina's larger than life. Kamina's this big, big figure and whatnot. But the underlying message that he always puts across is that Simone is the hero. He's the one saying it. Simone was always there for me. Simone's been helping me throughout all of this. And when he captures... His gunman, he hesitates for a second, and it's only Simone that snaps him out of it. He doesn't believe himself to be the hero, and I believe Kyle Hebert brings that humanity to the role. It's mm. it's a subtle thing. Yeah, he's not as energetic as the sub. I get it, but it's that humanity that really gets me. I believe that he is a person with flaws, and you do too. Mm -hmm. And uh, Keaton is i think it's a great performance i don't think it's the best performance in the show but i think he does a great job kyle bear is better as kamina but that's just my personal opinion well it's mm. not a competition already <laughs> it is when it's they're rivals the 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 rivals in life and death they both got the same girl and then died immediately <laughs> after getting her. exactly exactly Hmm. So hardy. Let me start. Start us off with Keaton first. Uh, okay. Keaton was always there since the beginning. A lot of people, I think Keaton gets slept on a lot, actually. Cause, I agree. Because Kamina came out. He was from episode one. He came out big, bold, brash, and just this amazing personality. And then he bites it in after eight episodes. Keaton stays. And he comes out at episode four and stays until nearly the ep the end of the series. Also, this big, bold, brash personality, but he's always in Kamina's shadow. And I think it's it's kind of fitting that he gets to go out on a bigger note than Kamina does. Because he realizes, hey, you know, it's my time to shine. And I've never really done anything up until this point that that really mattered and and now you know even if it costs me my life i get to do this and i get to go out on my own terms <sighs> and um i think i think this performance from christopher smith is just really underrated like it, it almost makes it out like keaton is the sort of butt monkey like he's the the comic comic relief in comparison to a lot of the other characters, like he's a wannabe Kamina. 
but he has some moments near the end. The man fights off a Mugon with a shotgun. Yeah, that's pretty dope, by the way. I'm yeah. like, the only way that that scene could have been more badass is if it had been, instead of a pump-action shotgun, if it had been one of those slide-action like the Terminator uses. Oh, like one, one of the Springster ones. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the little, like... Where you can... The shoot, and then you flip it. I'm like, oh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's the only way that scene could have been more awesome. No, I think I think Keaton is very underrated as a character, and and watching the comic relief butt monkey at the end of the show finally get his his moment to shine. Yeah, and he's <sighs> he smiles as he fades to ash. Which God, it's so fucking cool when you get to smile when you're going out like that. And he also gets, like, he gets more spiral power, objectively, than Kamina does. Like, he gets a real taste of it. He gets the eyes at the end. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I think Chris Smith as, as Keaton really deserves more credit than he actually gets. But! He... Yeah. Let's speak of Kamina. The man, the myth, the fucking legend. Oh boy. Okay, go on. Go on. Yeah. People will argue that he got taken out like a bitch. This is not true. It's not it true. It is not true. He just he he let his guard down for one moment and then he literally resurrects himself from the dead to help to win the battle. <laughs> yes. To to help Simone def- uh, take die guns and, and and defeat Timulf. and this is Kyle Aber's performance was one of the ones that when this show first came out that was the most heavily criticized. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people did not like this. Um, I, I I can believe I, I that, have actually. heard that a lot. I think they thought that maybe Kyle was too soft-spoken. He wasn't gruff enough. Like, he didn't have enough rasp to his voice. And for the first few episodes, it is kind of rough. But when you look back over ten years later, you realize this is the most energetic performance you could have ever hoped for. It's just, it's no one could match the subs energy with Kamina. No, unless you like literally broke your voice, right? But uh, this is, it's it's heartfelt. It's human. Kamina is a man, but he is a human, and he. <sighs> it's hard to put it in my words. I was a fan of this performance from the beginning. I know a lot of people weren't. And looking back on it now, over 10 years later, I still am. I still think that this is one of Kyle Hebert's Kyle greatest performances ever. And I will stand it until the day I die. I can as well. Go on, sorry. And, uh, and if you don't like it, then who the hell do you think I am? Your spaceman, Hardy. Mm-hmm. I think especially his final words, the way he delivers them to, oh, to Simone, so is good. it's great in the sub, 
but it's just it has that tone in the dub that I just I I get behind. It makes me cry every single time just because of the line delivery. Nothing else, the line delivery. I think it was later, buddy. Buddy. <laughs> Fucking iconic. Yeah. Mm. Also, small detail, just because I don't know where else to fit it. I like how every episode, how there's like episode arcs that are the episode title is said by different characters. Yeah. Like the first arc is Kamina's quotes, then it's Nia, then it's Rosiu, and then we end on Simon's. And then Viral has one. Viral has the compilation episode, which is the most fucking viral thing in the world. And like, and like, yeah, and I will appreciate that when he says, this is how you do a compilation episode right, he was not lying. <laughs> I, I, I had, oh, this was my first time actually watching that. It wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but it was still kind of, eh, whatever. Uh, no, I, I, mean, no, I mean, I mean, I think the thing that worked was like them just making it into more of a music video. I was like, okay, yeah, that works. Speaking of music videos, go watch the fucking parallel works. They're very good. Jet! Okay, um, so I will start with Chris Smith's uh, Keaton because honestly, I had no idea until I was compiling notes for this episode that it was Christopher Smith. I mean, I can kind of hear it now, but I kind of associate his voice more with like some dude characters like Kite, and uh, Keaton is definitely anything but that. Uh, so, uh, from the second uh, he first appears, Keaton comes off as, you know, very cocky and hot blooded. I've always thought he was as much on his high horse as Kamina is. Uh, he definitely at least tries to pretend like he has a lot of natural confidence, and Chris gets uh, all that across uh, pretty well. And uh, it's definitely a lot of fun watching him and Kamina butt heads at first, since their personalities are so similar. Uh, but once Kamina is out of the picture, uh, we start to see more differences between them, as, you know, Keaton has a lot more good intentions than he does charisma or leadership skills. And it's both funny and depressing kind of seeing Keaton trying and failing to hold the team together, uh, you know, before eventually having to torch over to Simone. And uh, Chris handles all that awkwardness pretty well. Uh, but I think where his performance definitely shines the most is during the time skip. Uh, because out of all the Diagon members, he's definitely the most caught in the middle between, you know, the old way of doing things and, you know, uh, following the new way. Yeah, and, you know, following along with Rachu's regime since, you know, it would at least keep his family safe. And uh, it definitely gives a lot of nuance to what was otherwise, you know, just a very previously hot-headed kind of dude. And uh, Chris handles that shift really well while still keeping Keaton in character. And when he finally decides that he can't do things any any other way than the way he already knows, it definitely feels like a very well-earned decision. Mm. Uh, Chris has a lot of really strong moments throughout the dub, but it's kind of hard to talk about his performance without talking about Keaton's final scene, because that is... It's the fucking best! Yes, uh, that is definitely a scene. Uh, Keaton's sacrifice might have seemed, you know, pretty predictable coming off of how many characters died in the episode just before that. Uh, but he definitely went out guns blazing when he finally got to create his own drill before dying. I was both devastated and also just kind of bouncing up and down with excitement. Uh, so cool, especially with Libra Me From <laughs> Hell, which... Oh my god, the whole soundtrack is amazing, but Liver Me From Hell, who thought to mix rap and opera together? You're a mad lad! Okay, okay, uh, okay, okay. Uh, is, okay. Uh, competition. This was, uh, was Taku Iwasaki, right? This is Taku Iwasaki, yes. Alright, uh, Bloomin' Crans or Liber Me From Hell? Get in the corners, I can't choose. Get in the, <laughs> Get in the corner. You're, you're, you're asking me to chill... This You're asking is like, me to choose between my children. Fuck that's you. Like well, they're both yeah, very, very interesting. That's like trying to choose between Inferno and uh, 
and uh, and uh, it's Kakuse. You don't want to admit that it's totally Kakuse, you fuck. Yeah, but uh, okay, uh, but uh, yeah, Chris, what's up? We want of fun here and well again. This is a, you know the kind of character I generally associate him with. It definitely makes me wish he got to play more characters like this. Uh, moving mm. on to Kahamer. Uh, next to the performance of Simo's actor and possibly even more than him, there's definitely a few things I associate more with this dub and Gurlong and in general than Kyle Hamer's Kamina. Uh, having rewatched it for the first time in years, though, I definitely gotta say that it kind of was a little rougher around the edges than I remembered at first. Uh, Kyle's performance in the first episode or two wasn't uh, bad, per se. Uh, but the bravado definitely wasn't quite as natural as I expected it to be. And his overall tone of voice kind of sounded a lot, you know, closer to how he played the Great Sandman and Dragon Ball than I thought it did. Uh, but I can definitely say that once he got over some of those growing pains, he was definitely consistently fantastic. And definitely one of the big highlights of the dub. Uh, Kamina is a man who's larger than life, and Kyle really nails that as he makes Kamina, you know, come off as the most hot-blooded and manly man on the planet. And the kind of guy who followed the battle no matter how crazy he seems. Because there's just something about how confident he is that makes you think he's going to make everything work out. And mm. But at the same time, there's just something about that confidence that also kind of works as a bit of a double-edged sword. And while confident might act all big and tough, some of that is really an act. And whenever you do get to see a few brief moments of showing how scared confident really is, you know, like when he sees his father's skeleton and realizes that could be him if he screws up. Uh, Kyle definitely makes all that hesitation feel genuine. And you can tell how much those fears kind of mean to Kamina, even if he won't ever actually admit to them. Uh, but even more than how much he's kind of hiding how scared he can be at times, Kamina is also really stubborn, even when he shouldn't be, and Kyle definitely gets a lot of that hot head inside across just as, he well, just as well as all of the bravado. And it's that refusal to listen that can make him uh, maybe a little unlikable at points and kind of ultimately cost him in his life. Uh, but even so, it's, it's still hard not to love Kamina. It, it, it is hard not to love Kamina. Even when he's an asshole, he's larger than life. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, but I think the thing I really liked the most about Kamina was just how he played off of Simon's actor. And, you know, just how much he came off as a genuine big brother to him. Even if he wasn't always the best one. And I really felt their bond even... Like, I just really felt their bond even after Kamina bit the big one. And seeing him as a force of pure inspiration just really reminded me of why this character has stuck with me for so long. And the whole believe in the me that believe in you line is something that I've repeated in life it's, at least once. It's so iconic. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, rambling aside, uh, Kyle Hamero is honestly pretty great as Kamina. He wasn't quite the best performance in the dub like I, like I kind of expected it to be, but he was definitely up there. And it's easy to see why this is so, such an iconic role for him, even if it wasn't, you know, as beloved as I kind of wish it was. Remember. But, okay. Yeah. No, I get you. Uh, Christopher Smith as uh, Keaton, like, he very much is an unsung hero of this dub because he's got this very strong presence to him. But the problem is that Ka Keaton as a character, like, ironically enough, is also in Kamina Shadow. Is that he is just kind of, like, seen as many as, like, the less cool Kamina. But he's trying his best to just be himself and find his own identity throughout the entire show who he wants to be, what he wants to be. That's why I think his sacrifice is so satisfying, because in that moment, he is not Kamina. He is not a politician. He is not a warrior. He is just King Kitan Kamina. He, no, 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 wait, no, no, no. He is not Kamina. He's King Kitan. He's not Kamina. He, He's him. He will slice you in half with his face. 
Oh, man, that is a very pointy mech, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but no, and look, like, Chris Smith has some pretty good delivery, like, good strength, good screams. Like, his death is legit, like, one of the highlights of his character. Then he's like, so this is the spiral power, huh? Not bad at all. It's just good moment. By the way, here's a fun fact for you. Uh, in the compilation movies, uh, there's a lot of, in the show, a lot of characters kind of bite it at the end. Uh, in the movie, it is only Kamina and Kitan. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, because both of them are talking to Simone in the, in the little image, actually, so that's a little thing. Uh, but yeah, no, Christopher Smith does a really good job as Kitan. I think it's very underrated. Uh, Kyle A. Bear as Kamina is very iconic, and if you want to talk about iconic, let's talk about all the fucking things that I can still quote. Um, yours is the drill that will break through the vault of heaven. Kick logic out and do the impossible. That's the Team Gurren way. Don't believe in yourself. Believe in me. Believe in the Kamina that believes in you. And of course, let's see you grit those teeth. Which, God, that's one of my favorite callbacks in the fucking show is when Simone punches him like he got punched. Uh... He's full of bravado and strength. He's basically also faking it till he makes it. I think that's the thing. He's very confident and brash. And while he's not always perfect with that, I think Zen, you were really, you really nailed it. Where Kyle actually nails the human element to Kamina a lot. Where I really genuinely love the recounting of the one time where they basically almost died. Uh, Simone remembers the tale as... Kamina never gave up and gave him the the encouragement to push forward. Where Kamina's telling of the tale is, Kamina was losing it. Kamina was freaking out as all hell. He's like, oh shit, I'm done, I'm toast, I can't do this. But Simon just kept going. And that was what inspired him to keep up the act, to, be, to pretend to be strong, is because Simon made him want to be strong. They complimented each other and were there for each other and... God, their relationship is still so good and so charming, and I'm gonna be honest. I this is my third time watching Gurren Lagan. The scene where Kamina and Simon reunite, and Simon is older, actually made me tear up. I knew it was coming, and it still made me emotional seeing it again. Kyle is very good as Kamina. He's not the best in this dub, but it is iconic, and it is great, and God, Kamina is larger than life. We all deserve a Kamina in our lives. Oh, hey, you got taller than me. Oh, God, that that part hits me hard. Oh, boy. My favorite bit is when he he puts the fist to the chest, and uh, it's so good. Every single time. But yes, let's put it like this. It's it's fucking awesome. And do the believe we believe in the you Kamina believes in the you. Kamina believes in all of you. Even when you don't believe in yourself, remember Kamina, because Kamina believes in you and Kamina believes in the me that believes in you, and it's fucking good. So while we need to talk about all the man manly man that we wish could be in our lives, let's also talk about the lovely ladies as well in Simon's life. We are here to talk about 
two very important ladies in Team Daigurin. Uh, that is Yoko Littner and Nia Teppelin. Yoko Littner is... Even if you don't know who Yoko is, you fucking know who Yoko is. I'm looking at my mouse pad right now. Thank you, Hardy. <laughs> and Nia Teppelin. Uh, Nia is a sweet princess who is the daughter of Lord Genome, who is also a representative later on of the Anti-Spiral. Uh, she is very important because she is a character who sees Simon for Simon. Without knowing who Kamina was, which is very important for his character growth and important for their relationship in and of itself. Let's talk about who plays them. So, Nia is played by two actresses, actually. Uh, the For episodes 9 through 15, young Nia is played by Hinden Welch. And through the time skip of episode 17 to the end of the show, she is played by Bridget Hoffman. And Yoko is played by Michelle Ruff. Uh, Bridget, uh, starting off with Hinden Welch. Hinden Welch has played such characters as Yukari Kobayakawa from Lucky Star, Sono, Sono Mari from the Melancholy of... Not of Harhi Susumiya franchise, Amy Stapleton from IGPX, uh, Starfire from Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go, and Princess Bubblegum, aka PB from Adventure Time. Oh, hi, Starfire. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bridget Hoffman has played such characters as Ryoko Asakura from The Melancholy of Harhi Susumiya, Namie Yagiri from Dudarara, Mizuho Kanami from Please Teacher, Ooh, yeah. and Iris... V- Thank you, Hardy. Iris Veal von Eisberg from Fate Zero. It, and Fun fact, I don't uh, collect figures, but a gift that my good friend Ichinator gave to me was of Mizuho Konami in a bikini. So it's the one figure that I do actually own. I'm. That's actually pretty funny. I didn't know that. All right, thank you. And Michelle Ruff has played... A lot of characters, but specifically she has played such characters as Sinon from Sword Art Online, Rukia Kuchki from Bleach, Fujiko Mine in a lot of fu- Loop in the Third things, but specifically the woman called Fujiko Mine, Anri Sonohara from Dudarara, and Yuki Nagato from Haruhi Suzumiya. Zenith, start us off. Um, first of all, I want to say I recognize these two voice actresses. Um, not not the final one, but that's just because I wasn't that familiar with the voice actress. But the first two voice actresses I recognize immediately because I'm well aware of Rukia Kuchki. And uh, the moment I heard the voice, I'm like, oh, so that's that. And the same thing with Starfire. I'm like, yes. Um, but I'm going to start with Nia because I really, really love the voice that they gave to Nia. Especially when she does the thing where she's like, are you not aware of who I am? Like I oh god that yeah that's a good point. I love her line delivery. It's very naive but also authoritative, and I just love her arc. the 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 moment where she learns that she's a doll was so well delivered. It just th- there are so many things right about Nia. I think she's probably my second favorite out of this cast. Um, as for Rukia, I mean Yoko, I mean Rukia. Uh, 
she does a fantastic job. I think Yoko is a complex character because she has to play the confidence, but she also has to play the shyness around Kamina, but she also, like, kind of has to uh, somewhat lead the team because while Kamina is kind of the leader, she also does a lot of the heavy lifting. She's the one who inspires Kamina to, to, to work with them. Like, there's a lot of things that Yoko has to do as a character, and I think that uh, she really pulls through. Uh, but the thing that I really... The, the scene that I really like with her is when she confronts Kamina and she learns the story and she changes her attitude towards Simone and it's all in the vocal delivery where she starts treating him a little bit different because she didn't think anything of him beforehand but now she does and it's the subtle line delivery that I think really sells it. Mm. So all in all, thumbs up? Yeah, both of these are fantastic. I, I, For the last three, I have nothing but good things to say. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, Hardy. <sighs> um, this is kind of going to be awkward because I have sort of this history with with Michelle Ruff in particular. Oh no. I think oh, she no. has a tendency a lot of roles. I don't think it's that bad. It's just uh, continue. I think she can sound kind of flat. And at least in the first few episodes, I think that this was definitely the case. I've heard her in things such as Chobits and and other shows where she just sounds very robotic and wooden and obviously reading off the page. And for the first few episodes of Gurren Lagan, I, I, I have to admit that's what I thought of Yoko. I thought her, her line delivery just didn't sound natural. Mm. Uh, she got better over time. But even in the second half, when she confronts Nia and says, You're a real boring bitch. I thought, yeah, that could have been done a little more natural. But that's just me. I have heard Michelle Ruff in other roles that I thought she was fantastic in. Um, and I'm not saying that this one was bad, but it wasn't my favorite. And I think okay. I think the same issue is happens with both Hinden Walsh, Hinden Walsh and uh, Bridget Hoffman. But it works better with them because Nia is kind of a robot. In fact, you find out she's literally a a, a machine created from the anti-spiral. Um, well, less of a machine and more of like she won the literal genetic lottery of, okay, yeah. you're going to be our sleeper agent one day right. if you live. Yeah, and so I think we get a lot of the same issues there with them sounding sort of very you know kind of awkward. awkward and a little yeah and but it works better in her case in both of the actress case because the the, the character herself is very awkward and and sort of almost robotic so i i hate to be the voice of dissension but that's just my personal opinion it happens uh, sometimes it's but... okay hardy i still love you it's, it's, it's okay. You, it's okay. I really? you. Then take your yes. knife off my neck, Zenith. <laughs> I don't have a knife. I use keyblades. Get with the program. <laughs> and I, 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 I mean, I do one with the knife, and I'll, I'll put it away. Yeah. This time. All right. Cool. 
Okay, um... That's not a knife. That's a knife. Yeah. Okay, um, so I'll start with Hayden Walsh. Um, like, another actor we'll get to later. She's so synonymous with Western animation nowadays, it's kind of hard to imagine a point where she was ever working at anime dubs. Uh, but she was, and, uh, she was definitely here. Uh, Heredia comes off as, you know, very bubbly and cute, and there's something about her general voice, her general tone of voice that makes her sound, uh, very spacey, but... Also, it somehow feels kind of authentic instead of really forced. And I say forced because, let's face it, he is like the physical personification of the Moe magical girlfriend, for better or worse. And that's kind of most of her purpose throughout the show. But Hayden definitely makes it work. And there's something about uh, her performance that comes off as uh, a little sincere, despite how saturated Nia is most of the time. And it's kind of hard not to like Nia, even when the show is kind of very clearly manipulating you into doing so. Uh, and I definitely really liked her when she, you know, attempts to send up to Eridine. And it's clear that while Nia might not know too much about the world, she definitely wants to do the right thing. And it's kind of fun watching her assert herself more in the coming episodes. Uh, in comparison, Bridget Hoffman's take on Nia during the timescape is a lot more subdued. It does feel like a good enough evolution of what Hayden was doing that um, it's so, that you can so kind of believe both were playing the same character and it doesn't feel like super jarring or anything. Uh, but while the spaciness is still kind of there, it doesn't quite have the same level of, level of energy. And I kind of can't help but wonder how Hayden would have handled Nia had he actually stuck around for the time skip. And it doesn't help that Nia spends most of the time skip, you know, being the spokesperson for the anti-spiral. And while I guess that would have been kind of weird coming out of Hayden's mouth, it doesn't really leave Bridget to do with a whole lot in comparison. And uh, she kind of spends, you know, most of the time making threats in monotone. Mm. Uh, for what it's worth, I thought she did a pretty good job regardless, but between the two, I was definitely a lot fonder of Hayden's take. And, uh, moving on to Michelle Ruff as Yoko. Uh, next to Fujiko Mide, this is probably the, the role I most associate with her as an actress. And, uh, thankfully, it still holds up really well for me. Uh, you know, the whole mysterious baby with a gun thing is kind of a staple for anime somehow. And, uh, when Yoko definitely is first introduced, Michelle does a really great job of making her come off as... Uh, very cool and confident compared to the two dumb boys she's kind of found herself stuck with. And uh, if Kamina is the voice of inspiration for the team, then Yoko is kind of the cool big sis of the group. And Michelle is really good at making it seem like Yoko just kind of constantly trying to keep them all reined in as best she can. And it's especially fun watching her play off of Kahe Bear's Kamina because Yoko kind of finds herself stuck between, you know, being half frustrated with how unapologetically hot-headed Kamine is most of the time, but also being really attracted to that. And when Kamine dies, Yoko definitely takes it about as hard as Simo does. And while she does a much better job of holding herself together, she still kind of has her moments when she stops at the others, and Michelle handles all that grief really well. Especially when it comes to Yoko's initial reaction to Nia and how much of her distrust in her is, is kind of rooted in her and still trying to work through her grief. And uh, while we don't see a whole ton of Yoko during the time skip, initially, I did like the whole episode where it revealed she became a school teacher. It is a bit of a weird occupation given how Yoko normally dresses, but I can definitely believe she'd want to inspire kids the same way she saw Kamina do. And uh, Michelle did a good job of showing a little bit of Yoko's softer side of that episode while still keeping her personality intact. And when Yoko finally comes back to the team, she definitely makes one heck of an entrance, and Michelle's tone kind of shifts back to that initial confidence Yoko had in the beginning. Uh, if there's one asset of Yoko's character that didn't quite hold up for me, it was her whole thing with Keaton. And uh, not that I didn't buy these two could be a thing, since Keaton did show some interest in her in the first half of the show. 
But it's kind of weird that she reciprocated that to the point where her fantasy parallel universe was one where she married him and not Kamina. I mean, it is kind of, I mean, it's not too hard to think he got over Kamina after, like, seven years, but it's so a little weird. Uh, but it, Interestingly enough, that actually is something that is brought up in this uh, Secrets of Gurren Lagann thing. I, I, I think I did read that. Uh, where it's basically, why is Keaton in Yoko's wedding scene instead of Kamina, even though they were both dead? It's like, we had to be discreet about showing Kamina. And then they're like, would would those, would, yo, would those two, probably meaning uh, Kamina and Yoko, really be happy getting married traditionally? It's like, eh, maybe. Yeah, uh, eh, it is. Uh, but, I still get the point they were going for. Yep. Yeah, uh, anyway, I definitely liked uh, Michelle's Yoko, and for being one of her most iconic performances, I'm definitely glad that for me, it still stands the test of time really well. Mm. So, starting with uh, Hendon Wel- Welch, I think Hendon is adorable. She's a little awkward and kind of not really human-sounding as Nia, but it's what she is. She says, like, well, fellow, how met. It's like, what the, what the hell does that even mean, sweetie? She's adorable, sweet, and, like, very. it's very Starfire. It's almost like to a T, like an anime Starfire voice. She she basically is Starfire, and I think that's what works about the character because the character is Starfire in anime. Like I don't want to say like you are the character, but it's literally like Nia is kind of like a Starfire in her mannerisms early on and all that. But also like I love how she has her own version of just who the hell do you think I am? It's just like, are you not aware of who I am? Is so, I I didn't remember that, but that's so cool. But she sounds adorable, sweet, supportive. I also love the little bob cut she's got when Yoko shoots her hair as a sign of trust. I love those two spending time together. I really, I know like why she can't be around with Kamina, but I kind of really feel like her and Kamina would be the best of friends and it'd be adorable. Like, what I like one of the scenes that they added in the compilation movie is Nia straight up writing letters to Kamina, which I'm like, that's really interesting, actually. Yeah, like that's really cool. But also, Bridget does a pretty good job sounding like Hinden, but yeah, a lot of it is just the evil uh, anti-spiral uh, Nia, which isn't as prevalent, but she does a pretty good job matching it too. And yes, Nia's fate is very sad, but I understand it, and it's a bittersweet ending, but I accept it. Yoko! Holy shit, Yoko is iconic. She is iconic in every sense of the word, and I think Michelle Ruff adds a lot of personality and charm to her as a character. She's adorable and feisty and spunky. I like the, that whole scene where it's like her and Kamen are bickering in the cockpit. He's basically saying she's got a fat ass, and she just sits her ass on his head like, Oh, it's so comfy here. Good lord. And it's just like... I really think she's got a lot of spunk and personality, but emotional heart and complexity that really goes underappreciated too. And she's really compelling and interesting. Like, I, I, I actually do like the angle of her becoming a school teacher. Like, it's weird, but I can see it. Also, I gotta say, uh, as a older, wiser person, I now recognize uh, Teenage Fire Bikini Yoko. Not the hottest Yoko. You know what is the hottest Yoko? School teacher. School teacher Yoko, yeah. She is really hot. I don't know. I think, uh... 
I think uh, Star Trek, Star like st- Boobs, uh, Yoko. You star, like star, t- star Boobs. Star. You like Star Tit. You like Star Titty. I do like Star Titty, but uh, school teacher Yoko is pretty good too. Fun fact: Did you know that her school teacher out- outfit is inspired by Yomiko Reedman's outfit from Read or Die, which is also I did not. I did not know that until you told that. Which to is me the other also day, uh, licensed by Aniplex of America. Oh wow! Yeah, that that is a fun coincidence. I think yeah, because this is also an Aniplex thing too. Yeah, that does make sense. Okay, was that also Gynex? No, actually? it was not. That was uh, okay, but oh, I want to say Production IG, but I'm not sure. Okay, but it was still like a Aniplex yeah, it was. property. Mm-hmm. So it works out. But no, I think Michelle has a lot of, like, spunk and personality and energy she brings to the role. Like, Yoko's Yoko's a character I see people, like, kind of giving a lot of shit for for a lot of reasons. For, like, either her design and or, like, the, the relationship she has, the kiss of death thing. But no, she's a really interesting character. And I kind of like how she recognizes she's not going to do this whole government thing and kind of goes to the country to teach and educate minds. Also, she has one of the coolest fight scenes in the in the series that's not a mech. She has a sky bike and a sniper and she's making teacher clips as she takes out two gunmen and it's so fucking cool. Yeah, th- like, Thunder th- Thunder Thighs is great. <sighs> <laughs> Those thighs can destroy mechs. Fucking, you let her destroy you too. Don't lie. I just then. love the. Don't you lie to me. I love the. Don't you lie to my fucking face right I now. I just love the interaction between her and Kamino, where Kamino calls her thunder thighs right after he calls her beautiful, and she's just like it's so like taken aback. It's like rude. It's like fucking rude. Because <laughs> it is rude. But no, Yoko's really interesting, and I love her, and she's cool and great, and I think Michelle Ruff does a really nice job with her. And now, it's time for the spiral to reach its peak. Let's talk Simon the Digger. Simon, the leader of Team Daigurin. The boy who would learn his true destiny. Let's talk about who plays Simon, everybody. Who plays Simon? Little, little unknown actor in the sphere of voice acting goes by the name Yuri Lowenthal. Oh, I've never heard of this guy. He's, he, he sounds like a low rank amateur. He seems like he's going to go places, this guy. As for what Yuri Lowenthal has done, he has played such characters as Sasuke Uchiha Boo. from Naruto. Suzaku Kururuki from Code Geass. Also boo. <laughs> also boo, but in a different kind of way. Shinra Kishitani from Dudarara. That's what's a boo for me. Yosuke Hanamura from Persona 4 The Animation. And Barnaby Brooks Jr. from Tiger and Bunny. Just to name only a few. Yeah, that's that's, that's where name Academy rolls. If we go to like Western animation and video games, we can be here all night. We, we, Motherfucker we is like one of the best Spider-Men. Yeah. So. So, sorry, were you saying no, something, Hardy? No, I was going to comment on Spider-Man. Okay. So. Zen? I, I'm being very vague about the character of Simone right now because I, I feel the discussion will speak for itself. Zenith, please start us off. 
I'm gonna say this right now. This is my favorite voiced character in the entire show. And this might sound a little bit weird. I mean, I know people like Yuri Lowenthal, but a lot of people are, you know, there are people that people praise more in this dub. But I think what I love about Yuri Lowenthal's Simone is his growth. Because Simone is a character who's buried in Kamina's shadow, kind of like Keaton was, but he's a character who has to deal with the fact that his his bro is dead and move forward and grow. And the thing that sold me on his performance and why I think it's the best performance of the show is the very moment when he pulls out, he meets Nia, he pulls out from Kamina's shadow, he puts on his goggles and he makes the speech, I'm not bro. Would you want me to read it? Because I actually wrote yes, it Yes, do it, do it, do it. My bro is dead. He's gone. But he's right there on my back and here in my heart. He lives on as a part of me. If you're gonna dig, dig to the heavens. No matter what's in my way, I won't stop. Once I've dug through, it means that I won. Just who the hell do you think I am? I'm Simone. I'm not my bro. I'm me. I'm Simone the Digger. And that is why I think Yuri's performance is so good. Because initially I wasn't sold on it. He does play it a little bit weaker at the at the beginning, but it's all to play to that growth. Because He's a huge dynamic character. He's the protagonist, and for the beginning of it, you have to focus on Kamina to see him struggle to come out from that shadow, and that speech, it's just, it's phenomenal. I, I was shaking with excitement just reading that, by the way. I'm still I, I was getting so. chills when you read that, and and that's just like, and that's without the music. With the music is, oof. Which, that's a really underrated insert song, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. Um, but yeah, like, Simone, I think, is the best voice character in the show, simply because I think Yuri Lowenthal gets the character, gets the growth, understands where the character needs to be. And then another moment is, again, when he meets Kamina, and they talk, and it's just, Yuri Lowenthal, you're the best in this dub. I love ya. Well said. Hardy. Oh, wow. Um, the, for the first half of the show, and not even the first half, I have to say the first few episodes, and I think this might have been done on purpose. Yuri sounds very grating as Simo, which in most other shows would be a turnoff. For this one, because Simone literally starts at the bottom and has to, like a spiral, work his way up higher and higher and higher from this kid who comes across as a coward. And I'm going to be honest, Simo's emo episodes are kind of the hardest for me to watch because when he's... When he's down in the dumps, he is 
it can come across almost annoying. Uh, here's here's my argument to that though. There are a lot of different ways to deal with grief and trauma, and I, I'd say Simon is actually kind of a realistic portrayal of seeing somebody like that dealing with that trauma. Okay. Yeah, I think he actually does go through like all seven seasons of grief. Yeah, it's it's realistic, but it, it's also character regression for a point because he's been propped up by Kamina in his mind, and he has to realize. So, sorry, th- sorry, I realized this was probably part of the point you were getting at. Yeah, uh. no, it's 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 actually kind of genius in how we take this character who, at his lowest point, is just is just, you know, very, very hard to watch. And then as the show progresses, like expanding outside the outside walls of a spiral, just keeps growing bigger and bigger and bigger and more over the top to the point of, you know, basically telling the flaws of physics to go get self. It really shows just how you can start a performance that comes across as grading and then just becomes absolutely phenomenal by the end. And if any actor was able to do that in any dub, it was definitely Yuri Lowenthal. Um, that having been said, given the ADV original dub, I would have liked to have heard Josh Greeley's take on this performance. Mm. But, um, but I think that going with Yuri Lowenthal in the bang zoom dub was definitely the right choice to make. Mm. Well said. Uh, okay. Um, so for me, uh, so it's gonna, you, you gave me, you gave me a, you, you gave us a little taste of what you have in store. I, I'm, I'm excited to hear this. Okay. Um, so it's kind of hard to uh, think about nowadays with how prominent he's become in AAA video games and Western animation. Uh, but there was once a point where Yuri Lowenthal was about as synonymous with anime protagonist as Johnny Young Bosch, and his voice was kind of nearly impossible to escape in the dubs in the mid to late 2000s. I say impossible to escape because when I was a teenager, I wasn't exactly the biggest fan of him. Uh, like, I didn't think he was a particularly bad actor per se, but I could only associate him with one role and one role only, Sasuke Uchiha from Naruto. And it didn't help that around the time I was finally starting to attach names to voice actors, he was playing similar emo anime boys like, um, say, Alvis from Mare, for all ten of you who remember that dub on Tsunami Jetstream. And I didn't really come around to him until I played Persona 4, where he played Yosuke, who, uh, compared to everything else I'd heard him do, was a lot more laid back and funny. And uh, he eventually grew to be my favorite performance out of that game. So uh, ever since, I've been a fan of his work. And while this isn't a real why associated with him as much as I do some of his other stuff, uh, happily revisited this dub for the first time in a while with honestly some of his best stuff. Uh, the first few episodes, he ba- his e-bone comes off as, you know, very unassuming and kind of whiny, which Yuri handles very well. And he definitely makes the e-bone look pretty dorky next to Kamina, and that, as Hardy said, can definitely get a little grating at times. And I can definitely see why some folks preferred Kamina originally. Uh, but that unassuming nature of Seabones is also kind of the point. And I felt like Yuri's performance really understood that. Uh, while he might initially come off as a crybaby, and definitely is, uh, he can also be a voice of reason when Kamina's kind of getting a little bit too much over his head. And some of Yuri's best moments during the early episodes are kind of watching him play off of Kamina's 
I mean, Kyle's Kamina, as he both tries to read a bit a little bit, and also learn from his, learn from his example as he kind of gains more confidence in battle. And I also like that while Simone uh, looked up to Kamina, it wasn't always for the healthiest reasons. And there were points where you could tell he was kind of jealous of him for, you know, kind of having the qualities he lacked in addition to, you know, winning over Yoko. And I thought that Yuri did a really good job of showing Simone's heartbreak when he realized that Yoko didn't exactly see him that way. Uh, but all that said, uh, where Simone's character really starts to come into full view is where Kamina kicks the bucket. And uh, even though it's incredibly frustrating to see Simone kind of retreat into his cell for a few episodes... Uh, it definitely paints a very clear picture of just how much Simone's hero worship of Kamina kind of hurt him as much as it helped him. And uh, Yuri does a really great job of just handling his depression in those episodes as he kind of tries to find his own place in the group. And when he does, I like that it isn't through some, like, big dramatic realization, but just, you know, kind of silently coming to terms with that in the end, he can only kind of be himself. That there are certain things only he could do, and Yuri really nailed that without overselling it. I mean, but of course, that being said, we do get a dramatic speech about it afterwards, and a pure level of joy in hand coming from that speech just... I mean, you heard Andrew say that. It's hard not to get pumped hearing that speech. Uh, and the 1,200 speeches after that, which are equally as cool. Yeah, and uh, especially when he pulled off the Giga Drill after that, that's just a kind of wild dumb tease I got the anime for, so it was great stuff. And from there, Yuri Simo just kind of gradually developed into a more competent Shonen protagonist. But at the time we get to the end of the first half, there's no room to that this was, that this was always meant to be Simone's story. Uh, but as far as he went to the early parts of the show, I was even more impressed with Yuri's performance during the time skip. Uh, for one thing, I liked it more than everyone else in the cast, even Johnny's Rossiu. I thought that Yuri really did the best job of aging his voice for Simone. Uh, he sounds a lot more relaxed and confident compared to how he sounded in his younger days. But there's still just, you know, kind of a softness to it too that makes it clear that this is still the same Simone we all know and love. I thought, of, I thought of a lot of his interactions with me in particular were kind of cute, especially his, like, nearly buggled marriage proposal. That whole scene was pretty funny. Uh, uh, but of course, he wrote so much funny of his own struggle to deal with, and as uh, Simo kind of finds his allies turning on him, uh, Yuri does a really great job of just getting across how much the weight of all his new responsibilities are kind of affecting him, while not so, you know, totally reverting back to how young Simo was when he was at his lowest. And uh, eventually, Simo does beat the odds and gets the band back together for one last battle in space. And from there, Yuri's performance becomes one non-stop train of ham, and as the situation escalates, so does the intensity of Simone's fiery spirit, and Yuri's reflection of said spirit. Uh, with the amount of attack names he had to scream in his last few episodes, it's kind of a wonder that man's vocal cord survived this show. Uh, but I'm definitely very glad he kept on doing himself, because it wouldn't have been nearly as much fun otherwise. And by the time we get to the finale, the bravado with energy in Yuri Simone honestly kind of puts Kyle's comedy to the shame, and it's really impossible not to love the performance. Out of all the characters in this show, Simone's character evolves the most, and no matter what Simone goes through, Yuri's performance both adapts and evolves right along with him. Uh, like I said before, this wasn't among the roles I kind of most associate with Yuri Lowenthal, even though I definitely remember liking the dub while I watched it in college, but revisiting this dub nearly a decade later, uh, he's definitely the star of this dub, and it's some of the best work he's ever done. Uh, sorry I went a little long there, but uh, I had a lot of thoughts. No, no, don't apologize. You told me before we did this, I think this is the most I've ever written for Dub Talk, and I was excited. <sighs> I'm proud. So, I will start strong and say... This is the best Yuri... This is the best I've ever heard out of Yuri Lowenthal in an anime ever. Period. Bar none. Okay. He plays 
this entire kid's life. You see him as a bottom kid from from below. You see him as a scaredy cat getting a little more tactical and smart. Because here's the thing. Kamina was brash and brave. Simone was the smart one. Simone was the one who actually knew how to do things. Kamina thought of ideas. Simone was the one who figured out how to actually do those ideas. He was the one that kept moving forward in the end, and that's what kept him going. You see him be his bro, his bro's, like, number two. Then he loses his bro. You see him break. You see him falter. You see him through trauma and despair and losing his path before he finds somebody who tells him it's okay to be proud of who you are. He... Simon grows up to embody the best parts of Kamina, but also still being himself. Because Kamina was brash and bold and frankly kind of suicidal. Simon is smart. Simon is tactical. Simon thinks logistically as well. He thinks in strategy. He thinks in counterattacks. He thinks to value himself. Because he sees the best in himself because he sees what his bro sees in him. You see him grown up to be a fine young man who is betrayed by the world and destiny himself. You see him take that destiny back. Take the world back. Fight through space-time itself to get the woman he loves. You see him effectively become the most powerful person in the world. The person who becomes the savior of the universe who becomes the burdened with spiral power. And one of the things I saw in a video discussing this was that there are so many people who are given big burdens in this series that they want a lighter burden when they should have been asking for broader shoulders. Father Magin, Lord Genome, Rosiu, the Anti-Spirals. They wanted to sacrifice people for the sake of everybody else simon wants to have everything he wants to sacrifice it all so he keeps himself in check he loses nia but at the end he can revive people he can basically use infinite spiral power to bring back everyone who's ever died that's how far it can go that's how strong he is and he chooses restraint he chooses the hard path, the hard path as he becomes a wandering vagabond, basically, with a drill instead of a sword. You see this entire man's life as you realize the entire narrator of this story is Tony Oliver, the series director. You want to know who he also is? Simon in the future. Simon is narrating the entire show from the beginning, and it's amazing. When I realize that, now that I understand dub languages. Yuri Lowenthal and Simone is... Simone is a character I love. I adore. I was Simone's age when I first watched Gurren Lagann. That meant a lot to me. Simone is the exact character archetype I adore. I adore characters like Simone. And I think Yuri Lowenthal plays one of the most complex developing and growing characters in a series like this i think it's one of his best and i think simon is the man 
that pierced through tomorrow and created the heavens. Okay. And with that, it is time. We have hit the surface, ladies and gentlemen. We have drilled through the surface and made it to tomorrow. Let's head to our final thoughts and retire our flag. Zenith. Like I said, it's a good dub. I saw this at just the right time when I was in a very uh, in, in a very poor emotional state, and this helped me through a lot. And um, it, it's still an anime I revisit every now and again. And this dub, I think, is perfect. Hardy, uh, I I'm not gonna go to the same extent and claim that it's perfect because I can see that that does have some flaws. But it's Gurren Lagann, man. It's my number three favorite anime of all time. And that's not going to change anywhere. Uh, I mean, I haven't done my top ten favorite anime in almost a decade. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure that below number five, six to ten have probably switched out quite a bit. Um, the the no, top five will always be consistent. And... Gurren Lagann will always be at number three. Mm. So, I mean, what else is there to say? Jet. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Gurren Lagann is a tale I haven't revisited it in a long time, and I wasn't totally sure how it was going to hold up, but uh, honestly, it still does. Uh, it's a really fun show. I really like how it escalates. And um, I really like the dub. I... It's a, it's, again, this is a dub where, from a time period, that wasn't talked about a lot in the same way, like, say, Code Geass was. And I kind of wish it was, because honestly, it, it's a really strong dub. It it might take a couple of episodes to really find its stride, but once it does, it really finds its stride. And there's a lot of really strong performances in this dub, and honestly, it's really up there with uh, some of the really great other trigger dubs we've gotten, like Kill Kill. So, um, I'm so yeah, but this dub definitely needs more love. It's great stuff. This, this is a very important show to me. This is a show I hold dear and dear to my heart as the show that got me back into the anime world. One of the coolest things I had ever seen and made me realize anime really is goddamn cool and worth sticking with. As a veterans person who now understands dub performances what goes into dubbing and like all of the people who are in this dub i appreciate the craft i appreciate the effort i i, I agree it's a little rocky at the start but when it gets going it gets good and it is really really immaculate and powerful and still holds up in a lot of ways i genuinely didn't expect it really still I'm still shaking with excitement in those final couple of episodes as Libra Me from Hell plays as they're getting together and they're forming Tengen Tapa Gurren Lagan, which is so oh it brings back a feeling an energy a passion that I fucking love this is a show that is much more complex and interesting than people give it credit for, and the dub is a lot better than people give it credit for. Gurren Lagann is one of the greats for a reason. 
and I am so glad to be part of Dub Talk, getting to revisit it with all of you guys. I know this was a long one, but I thank you for sticking with me. I'm really glad to have you guys on this journey with me. Well, thank you. So, Azura's Wrath next? Okay, now you can start requesting Azura's Wrath. Azura's Wrath. But, <laughs> once we get to video games, maybe. But, as for us, we are members of the Dub Talk Podcast. If you like us, you can follow us on YouTube at Dub Talk Podcast. You can find us also on Twitter, which is our most active platform. You can also find us on Twitch as well. And we also have a Kofi and a patron. A patron where you can help support us and be a beautiful, beautiful person that supports us financially like these people. B. Morris, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Corazon, Carly Lestical, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, J2 aka Jared, Julia W, Marissa Lenti, Nico Robin, but with Yowie hands, and we be. Thanks to you beautiful people that keep the spiral energy going for the Dub Talk podcast. As for you lovely people, where can the internet denizens find you? Zenith. Um, you can find me at Twitter at Zenith Will Rule. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at YouTube.com uh, slash. Uh, well, I'm I'm at Zenith Warrior Princess. Zenith Warrior Princess is my new channel. Uh, as of this recording, I will be putting up a review of Kingsman: The Secret Service, an episode that has been you know was originally lost to time because I did a review way back when. But that's going up Monday, and you can also find me. Uh, on on patreon.com slash zenith will review all righty hardy uh yes um you can find me on twitter at spaceman hardy uh and you could also find me on the funimation forums and discord as a moderator uh i basically just basically rant about antiplex and uh and random stuff and retweet a lot of final fantasy fan art which as soon as we're done here, I'm going to plunge headfirst back into Final Fantasy VII Remake, and you probably will not see me for the foreseeable future. So, adios, guys. You you, you worked very hard on this one. You've earned that right. Jet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Videga, where I will usually be talking about cartoons, anime, some stuff. Uh, you can also find me on my blog, Animation at Infinity, where I will sometimes write things. I'm... Uh, just finished doing Brenton's uh, for the Spring Season. And uh, you can also sometimes find me on uh, Podcast ODA, where I will usually be shooting the breeze, talking about anime news, alongside Andrew here. Nice. Indeed, indeed. As for myself, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can find me on Twitter at Mangaman9000. Indeed, my other joint is helping talk about podcast anime with Podcast ONA and our buddy Jet here. I realized something I should say. I should tell you where to go watch Gurren Lagann because you should go fucking watch Gurren Lagann. If you would like to watch the English dub of Gurren Lagann, you can currently find it on one of two different places. You can find the dub over on Netflix as it is still available right now or 
as of the current partnership with Funimation and Aniplex of America, the dub is now also streaming on Funimation Now. So if you would like to give this show a watch, you can find the dub over either on Netflix or on Funimation Now. Either way, both services are entirely worth your time. And with that, I think this tale has come to a close. I'm glad I could be celebrating Dub Talk's fifth anniversary by talking about a personal favorite of mine and a personal classic of mine. And with that, gentlemen, ladies, shall we shout it? Shall we say it? I can't because it's like midnight and I'd wake my parents up. Yeah, it's literally in the morning so I can't shout at all. Are you not well, aware of who I am? All I'm going to ask you, dear listeners, just who in the hell do you think we are? Who are we, guys? We're Dub Talk. Uh, We're Team Dub Talk. I'm Zenith. Oh, come on. You're Team Dub Talk, too. Hey, Don't blow I'm it. I'm part of Team Dub Talk, but I'm Zenith. All right. Are you not All aware right. of who I am? Dang it. Anyways. <laughs> This drill has pierced through the heavens, and with that, we wish you good night and otaku on, my friends. Good night. Good night. Good night.